0: Everybody. welcome back to the fighter die podcast I'm your host will Atkinson I'm here with co hosts Nick O'Neill and Karen Blakely and joining us our special guest for the evening is my very good friend Daniel Pina. when I knew you you were already a man and a leader of soldiers and, a, and an accomplished warrior um, and you know since then you've you've gone on to do more great things but uh, you know Nick Karen and, and our listeners don't have the don't have the perspective that I have yeah and uh, you know, I, there's there's more about you that I'm sure I've lost in the intervening years. So um, could you, if you're comfortable with it, tell us a little bit about your early life and, and your path to the military. Absolutely.
1: So early life, uh, born and raised in California. Um, grew up, you know, typical water guy, but raised in the projects. So inner city, you know, uh, went to an all boys private high school, were the worst. Um, you know, actually joined the Army because of 9-11. Actually, when 9-11 hit. I wasn't even in the country. I was in Australia. So um, found out about it through my dad's friend. He said, America's under attack. And, you know, I didn't know what to think of it. And, you know, I saw movies I like read, Don, right, back in the day. So <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? So uh, obviously their time loans are reversed. And so I missed all the events that happened, but I caught the aftermath, obviously, on television. And, you know, just uh, didn't come from a family that really served um, the military. Um, I had an uncle that was in a uh, second major battalion, but that was, that was like in the 80s. So it wasn't like I wasn't like a legacy or anything like that, and um, but I felt the need to come back and just serve. So I came back October. Uh, I turned 21, and then literally three weeks later, I just went to the when when signed up. Asked them, I want to fight. What does that look like? <laughs> you know, and they signed me right up. And uh, next thing you know, two months later, January 16th, I was out the door for basic training and. Obviously did a, a couple deployments before I uh, met Will. Always a infantryman, saw gunner, then um, a rifleman, was a sniper, sniper team leader. When I met Will, I was uh, into my third deployment, and that was um, 2006, 7 It was a 15-month deployment, and I was a sniper section sergeant for 112 in Fort Hood. You know, and uh, yeah. lots happened between there, a lot of life, a lot of... A lot of pain, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of life lessons. Um, you know, it's always some good, some bad, um, but learn from every single one of them. And I, I went on to get married to my beautiful wife, Daniela Pena, who's uh, uh, way hotter than I deserve and way cooler than I'm probably, uh, than, I, than I should be hanging around with. Um, you know, uh, got two kids, one named Lincoln, one named sayla so um i'm not sure if they could see right now because we are uh, are, are are we on um no just uh, the audio the the recording okay i got you so i have this uh um this photo in my in my office where it's a, a home office where abraham lincoln but the story behind the, the photo is that my my um, wife's her great 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 uncle actually drew that when Abraham Lincoln was uh, in office. So my in-laws have the original. Um, people in our family, don't we don't get the original, but we get the copy of the original. So it's still in the family and we obviously have a, we just, I love what he did and what he stood for. And so because of that, honestly, there was some strategy in it. I wanted a name that my son would both be remembered by. And I figured that when he's 20, 30, if a name Lincoln comes across your desk in a resume, he's probably gonna get favor, opposed <laughs> to John and Bill and Craig. So. I was like, you know, maybe let's, you know, scoot them along. And it always has a positive connotation with it. Um, my daughter, her name is Sela, because in the Bible, Sela means to pause and ponder. And so right now she's pausing, and pondering. I don't know if it's all joy or if it's a lot of screams, but she's pausing and pondering some stuff. So I always tell people that we're raising a world changer for good or bad. I, I, I don't know which yet, but we're trying to. Sculptor and shaper. She's a little Spitfire. She's four years old. I think she's 30. Um, but I love her to death. And uh, now I'm actually currently living in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I work for a church. I work for a church place called Journey Church. So the gap between where I'm at now to where I was when I met you, um, Will.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds uh, a lot. It's definitely that's a chasm, bro. But I'm going to take it back even further, man. Yeah. I want to hear more about. I want to hear more about what it felt like to be an American on 9-11, uh, in, in the Land
1: Down Under, bro, in us. Right. So, uh, you know, I always say that if that didn't happen, I probably would have, you know, stood over there. I was having a great time. I had the accent over there. It was really cool. Um, and, uh, it just felt very displaced, you know, um, I ended up staying there for another month. So I was working on my buddy's, uh, my, my buddy's dad had a big ranch. So he essentially said, hey, you guys can live here rent free, just help me with chores. And he had a legit cattle ranch. So we would like, literally do like, man work in the morning, surf in the afternoon, then chores at night, and that was our day. It's all we needed, man, it was really good. Um, but it just felt like, you know, there was, I remember I was uh, in some random restaurant, and there was a quote on the wall. And it said, if a kindness I may do, to a fallow, suffering man, let me do it while I can. For it is plain without delay, I shall not pass this way again. I don't know why I've always remembered that, but I thought that it was just time to come back home. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, obviously growing up in in the projects in East LA, you know, patriotism isn't a thing that is echoed in those hallways or those streets. And so, um, but I had uncles who were cops. And so there's always that, that defending portion of it. and so when I, when I got back, you know, I just felt that, you know, I just, you know, I felt like what would happen needed. I had to just raise, do my part and just find some, you know, continuity within myself and just serve. And so uh, I, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't even tell my uncle who was, who was in range battalion. I said, if I'm going to do it, man, I'm a, I'm a man, I got to do it on my own, right? So I'm raised 21 at the time, 21 by a couple of days. <laughs> um, so I just, you know... Um, Came home wearing an army shirt. I remember my mom smacked me hard across the face when she saw it. She was like, "She was like, hey, what are you wearing that shirt for?" I'm like, "Hey, mom, I joined the army." <laughs> that did not end up well for my cheek. Um, but you know, what, it's one of those things where uh, I think every person, no matter where they're at, um, everybody joined for different reasons, right? Um, some that joined for the education, some that joined because uh, their legacy, some that joined because they felt the call. But I think regardless of the fact is that I always admire people that serve because there is a sense of selfless service that requires of it. And there's a lot of uh, things you do behind closed doors, things you do that are, are not drawn to accolades, a lot of uh, grit and dirt that happens. But I think behind that process is it builds character. And I admire people with great character. Um, I try to avoid people that have low character. Um, and so uh, it's always a balance in between. And so,
0: uh, yeah, does that answer? I think. I think that was a, a real nice picture you painted, you know. But yeah. it's amusing to me knowing you as well on your way to this journey of, of being a man of great character. um Just picturing that that sun bleached version of you catching waves, you know, like <laughs> like stomach sinking and and finding this deep seated resolve and sensation of being called. And then what? You said you stayed in Australia a month, and then you're back home. Uh, so right. what, what time period was that? Yeah.
1: Right. So, like, so November uh, yep. So when that happened, I got back stateside. I believe I got back October 22nd. Um, I flew into Vegas and I drove down to a place called Apple Valley, California, where my aunt lived Stood with her for a couple of days and, you know, my 21st birthday, October 29th. And, uh, you know, didn't have a job. Um, I took a semester out from school, so it was planned. Um, I mean, I had a couple thousand dollars saved up for, so for a twenty year old college kid. I'm like, dude, I could live on this forever, right? That's, that's not true. We, we know that. But I thought I financially I was okay until January at least, um, until school started. And so, uh, no, I think um, there comes a time in everyone's life where everyone has to search themselves, right? Uh, people, most people want to find out, you know, their metal, what they're made out of. Um, and for me, it was just, it wasn't so much finding out what I'm made out of. Again, um, grew up in the projects where I don't have childhood friends because they're all dead. At one point they were dead or in prison, now they're all just dead. So, but because of that, me and my brother grew up fighters. Um, we played sports. So my mom tried to do that to keep us out of, out of trouble. And so when you have a bald head in East LA, everyone tries to hit you up and we just wouldn't back down from people. So that would require us to fight a lot. So we got pretty good at it. Um, and so uh, I'm never afraid of the fight. And I think because where I grew up at, um, you know, first dead body I saw was at five years old. So it was something that I was um, not by choice, but I was familiar with. Um, obviously, war is a different beast, right? For those of you that experienced it. So um, and so uh, I just felt the the call to serve, man. And so when I went to recruiter's office, uh, I think I scored like a 121 on my GT score. And they wanted to make me like, am I? And I just say, do they fight? And he, he's like, well, everyone fights. I'm like, are they on the ground fighting? And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, okay, like who does that? I, I had no idea what anyone did other than movies, right? And so yes. so he showed me this infantry video and I'm like, cool, sign me up. And so I just, I signed up for that. I didn't know any better. You know, I wish I would have had a, like, a, I had a good recruiter, but um, I think he was an infantry guy also. So he tried to like totally sell me on it, but um, yeah, so I think I was sold hook, line, seeker. Once you press play and I saw dudes shooting, jumping out of planes, I'm like, uh, yes, I don't know why I'm not going to do that, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, they taught talk <laughs> me out of it now. Right? <laughs> and uh, so sure enough, man, waited like two months and uh, saw some friends, traveled throughout California, just, you know, saying bye to people, and then January 15th, went to MEPS, January 16th, shipped off, and basic was 2001, right? So, yeah. and that kind of Started my
0: education in the military. So, uh, infantry, OSIT, You're a high school athlete. Yeah. Uh, came up on the mean streets. Yeah. Got a
2: not Australian a big injury, it boy surfer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wasn't a good surfer, so just to the record, <laughs> I was a long One boarder. freaking
2: origin uh, story, though.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, so I think you know, Mill. Uh, one of the biggest things that um, that was interesting for me was just I love the fact with the military um you it's competitive man you know when I first went in I didn't really realize that I was like yeah we're all one team yeah but you're all one team and you're graded against your peers you know (laughs) and so um one of those things where it uh it teaches you a lot about yourself it teaches you a heck of a lot about teamwork I I think you know being a football captain I was in high school and some other you know wrestling and all that and track that kind of helped me out with uh, team integration, but, um, you know, I think the hardest thing, I think uh, that I experienced was leading guys from, you know, um, Mobile, Alabama, to Spokane, Washington, to, you know, um, you know Colorado, to New York. So you're, you're dealing with cultural differences, you're dealing with uh, foundational belief differences, but I think the incredible part about the military, particularly, is that, um, have a vision and we have a focus for the fight and so you take these people from different walks of life and you collectively bring them together and you really hammer out the mission because it's not about one man it's always about the mission so as long as you continue to get that you teach that and you try to replace yourself um i think every good leader should replace themselves you know you should raise the next one up to take your place because you shouldn't be there too long (laughs) you know. Right. Um, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, And so uh, I think for me, that was, that was good. I had some incredible leaders that really kicked me in the, kicked me in the ass, you know, very young, um, you know, humbled me fast. Let's What's put it that way.
0: What's that?
1: I said, they, they humbled me really fast. Oh, yeah. humbled you fast. Sure. Yeah. So,
0: so like that's a, all the way back to basic training. Was that humbling for you at all? Or was that, were you well prepared? Do you think?
1: I think I was prepared. I think, you know, before basic training, I was running marathons. So it didn't seem um, the, honestly, I thought for me, the hardest part was, was road marching. You know, I never walked, I hiked with like water, but never like on demand forced road marches. And I was like, Oh, my back's not used to this. So I remember the first road march we did. It was almost embarrassing. It was like three or four miles and I was sweating. I was like, why am I sweating so much? It's not, and it was like, like thirty-five pounds, like this is nothing. Like now, I can, like my guy can run that. But, um, but it was it was getting my body used to that, you know. And, uh, you know, no sleep that sucked, right? So um, that tells you a lot about a person, you know. When you sleep deprive them, when you don't give them food. So I mean, it looked good for my glutes, man, and for my my I was looking sexy. I was thin, I was starving, but I looked good, right? So <laughs> yeah. um, bags under my eyes. That was I was fine with that. Um, but it was good, man. Obviously, I'm still friends with a lot of guys in basic training. We still caught up. Obviously, Facebook and Instagram is a good uh, mechanism for connection. And we, we should, you know, social media outlets, we still use those. Um, met some great friends. Actually, when COVID ends, our current reality, um, we're gonna we're all planning a trip to uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Pittsburgh, there's like seven guys. That's the center of where we all live just to get together. So um, it's really good. You know, it establishes, I think, the army's vision through a uh a brutal way uh meaning beautiful and brutal at the same time you know you get pounded I mean, but you, you really it makes really
0: huh infantry oset your experience is there you mean
1: yeah yeah absolutely man um and so oset meaning you know one station unit training um and then you know it prepares you and it doesn't prepare you right so it gives you a good foundation um and, you know, you're off for your next assignment when you graduate. Daniel, you stay pretty close to your guys, it sounds like. You know what? Actually, we do. I think the um, majority of my career, I operate, I operate as a sniper. So I think we don't work in really big teams. Um, we tend to work with a, a section of 12 or less. And so I think because of that, there is a lot of chance for, you know, continuity connection, you know. Um, and, yeah, you know we still connect and there was uh it's really, yeah. I'm like every single one of them. Obviously you have those guys who uh, no one knows where they're at. You know, they got out and they changed their phones and you're like, what happened to them? Um, but there's a, there's like three of those guys that everyone else we, we just connect with, you know? So I think that's what's great about the, uh, the brotherhood, you know?
0: So. Yeah. That's really lucky. I, I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of, kind of variation in that sort of uh ability to keep up you know and and some people just don't form those close relationships you know on on the job or while they serve that that you did so but you've always been really I feel like I feel like we'll talk way more about this a little later but I feel like you've been really proactive about building community and and keeping good people next to you Um, uh you know but so OSIT it sounds like was a breeze You, you loved it the Became the drill sergeant's friends right away. What was your first yeah. duty station? Uh, so it was Fort Campbell. Oh, okay, cool. We're so were you uh, aerosol dude there? Yeah,
1: for Fort Campbell, um, I was with uh, with the rockets and, and, and headquarters. Got swooped up, uh, came off, came off, and didn't uh, I thought I was going to get down to a line unit. They didn't. They swooped me up right there. So it's weird how um, for almost like for the first about I would say six out of the seven years of my first early career, I was in a headquarters company. So whether I got up fresh and they saw me like me, like, okay, you, you're, you're gonna be the Colonel driver, like, this is awesome. Not really, <laughs> you know. Um, did a deployment there. Um, I came back, uh, you know, uh, came back 2003. Um and that deployment was weird. I, I didn't really, even though it was, it was more of the beginning of the war, as a driver for the Colonel, man, I didn't, I didn't really do a whole lot. I'm being honest, you know? Um, but I got to make, make the right connections. Um, and, uh, I somehow came down on orders when I got back to first Cavalry division, which I thought was, um, honestly, I was crying inside because like you go from being a light infantry guy, to, like mechanized and that's like the death, like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. <laughs>
3: um,
1: but it ended up being a, a huge blessing, man.
0: Um, you know, uh, so Well, dude, I I have, I, before we jump all the way, you know, up in your story to the first cab, I have some questions about aerosol school. school. Uh, did you yeah. get aerosol qualified when you were at uh, Fort Campbell? Yes. So yeah. I know Karen's also aerosol qualified. So maybe you guys could talk a little bit about that. I understand, like, it's pretty technical and uh, it's day zero conditions the whole time. But yeah. So for me, I think so for me, like I'm-
4: when. I- When I did it, it was like a National Guard uh, training team that came to Fort Benning where I was stationed and they did the training there. So we did all the same, like uh, the rigging stuff. We did the repelling, um, but I'm really curious. I'm thinking that what you did at Fort Campbell was probably way more intensive and high speed than what we actually did.
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't say so. I would say the standard is a standard. So, I mean, for everything, you know, obviously like the biggest thing you had to look up for a spot is these random things where you're, you're hooking things up. But um, no, I would say, I think that's a great thing about the military is that there's a standard and you, you make it or you don't, you know? Um, now the standard differs depending on sc- the school you attend. Um, but I think that's the, the beautiful thing about it. And I think for being fresh out of, you know, for being a private, it was the best thing to go through right away because, um, I was always being screamed at. I was always doing push-ups. I was always running here and there. So it was just a continuation of that, um, you know, and uh, it resulted in, you know, learning how to, you know, tie some cool knots, how to repel, you know, how to <laughs> go, go down through the rope, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it was good. It was good.
4: So did you get to repel out of a helicopter more than once? Because we only did it once in the training.
1: Yeah, we, we, we ended up doing it three times, um, which nice. actually real, I get Which was really good because um, you actually do some of this stuff, especially when you're in like real world situations. Um, the only time I ever fast roped um, on, a, on a hot LZ was um, 2008, 2007, excuse me. So I think it kind of, there's little things you do in training that obviously prepare you for the future. Um, but there was some time between there where I did it in training and I did it in reality. So it was good.
4: That is very cool. Cause I will say like, I definitely loved the school just like I loved airborne school, but Mm -hmm. I was a little bummed out that I never got to put any of those things that I learned to use. Yeah. So I'm happy to hear that you actually got to.
1: Well, I just once though. (laughs) But Hey,
4: but Hey, it's better than none.
1: Yeah, it's true. That's true. (laughs) So, um, good, good.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna jump back to that first deployment. You said you kind of deployed with the headquarters of the 101st thought, unit you were assigned to.
1: Yep. So yep, I was I was headquartered with the uh, 1st 87th, um, R- 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 Raccoons, and uh, it was one of those things where um, honestly, I think the the beauty the beauty of, about being in a headquarters element is that you kind of learn who your friends are right away Um, because as headquarters, there's not a lot of you, at least at the private level, there's not a lot of you. So um, you share the suck together, you know, whether that was, you know, I think for me, it was coffee, keys, making sure I have everything, uh, making sure the radios are prepared. So it taught me at a young age how to play with radios, how to drive. Um, And because it was more of a, um, there was a lot of, handshakes going on I got to meet a lot of different people of course I was the person that stood in the car when uh someone else is beating somebody so that's okay um and so yeah honestly it was for me it was uh it was a shorter deployment because I had met them in country so it wasn't like it's was one of those things where it's different when you meet someone in country and um opposed to I would say training up with the unit like a year prior and oh, yeah. then leaving so the sense of camaraderie really is formed in training and so it felt for me it felt like um it was fast and it feels like man like 20 years ago right so it feels like it was almost like a lifetime ago if that makes sense you know i mean that's
0: sincerely almost fair to say at this point right you know like yeah. we were such we were so you were what you said you were 21 at that point that's like you're young you've lived your lifetime again you know since then so that's completely fair to say i think yeah yeah. So yeah, just so you joined this unit from the hundred first downrange, uh-huh. in the midst of their OIF whatever was that like? It must have been early. What was that? For me, was that in uh? So it was where uh, was it?
1: It was two thousand two. So I was I was one of the I was one of the units that we technically secured um, Baghdad airport. Okay. And so for me, it was more of like, let's say standing up a lot of, a lot of what we know is like, uh, uh, like, like, like Baghdad and a lot of the bases over there. I, I know a lot of uh, some of the bases, I don't even know where they're at now, or some of the names have shifted. Um, so for me, it was, it was more of a, I, I didn't do a whole lot of um, anything. I pretty much stood in Baghdad the entire time. Um, and so yeah, it was a pretty uneventful deployment for me. You know, I wasn't on the line. So I didn't get to do a lot of the fun stuff other guys did, All of that did come later on in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, I mean, uneventful.
0: Yeah, and the, and it just sounds like the mission set was sort of like building up infrastructure for follow-on. It was. Yeah, absolutely. Oif iterations. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I think we've had some other you know folks share their stories and uh, like one day I'd like to get a nice chronology just mm-hmm. sort of laid out. Um, in this in this sort of format but uh, certainly something to think about later. So upon your return your redeployment from that trip yep. had you been to a sniper school yet or no, you just no, went back no. to so no, you went I, back to Fort Campbell and uh, you, I think gonna, you mentioned orders to the first cab then right?
1: First cavalry division um, and then uh, went there in uh, 2003 um i was assigned to it was uh two seven i'm not forgetting my my units now right it was, it was it was it was two seven third brigade um and uh at the first time i was signed with um with bravo company um and i was probably training with them for probably about a good uh uh four four months not a lot of training time um they had sniper tryouts and uh So the whole battalion tried out, I think we had like 167 guys try out for it. Um, And uh, out of those 167 guys, they picked two of us. So um, I was one of the two they picked. Um, I was very grateful to be there because the other guy knew everybody. So I think he got like the good guy card when I'm like, hey, I should work for this. But I think at the same time, I was like a, you know, I was a PFC, I already had my EIB by by then, my expert infantry badge, so. Um, you know, and when I did it, I went true blue. I know that, you know, what that means for us is that, um, out of every station, I didn't get one thing wrong. So, um, for a PFC, I was very proud of myself. And so, um, so I would, i would be assigned to, to two seven headquarters back to headquarters company. Um, and then I would, uh, um, probably stood there for about another four months doing training. And then they came down orders order to deploy. And I feel like all my deployments I'm always late to. So I was late to this one also. So they said, hey, go to sniper school and when you're done, you'll meet us in country. I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. So in January, you know, uh, 2004, I went to sniper school and it failed. You know, it was very, very disheartening. So out of 45 guys that tried, only nine guys graduated. And I was not one of the nine. Wow. and so um i remember uh the commandant for sniper school was like hey man it's a tough school you know but I, we, we think we want to have you recycle and stay here and i was like i don't know how that will go over my my start major so i had to do the shameless call and call him like personally <laughs> and say,
4: oh no hey.
1: so i failed
4: hey.
2: um
1: <laughs> i'm like D- do you want me to meet you in country and so i think at that time they were still doing a lot of infrastructure and, you know, um, it was it was around that time frame that the counter insurgency started to really pick up. And so, um, they, they were in Kuwait for like 42 days. So I called him 27 days into it. So he was like, Hey, we're here for another three weeks. He's like, why don't you just stay there, recycle, go to school, um, and meet us in the country. I said, okay. So I did that. I did extremely well, but I think if you're in a schoolhouse for double the amount of time you should really learn. Right. <laughs> so, um, so what
4: was so hard about the school? Can you go into detail? So, a little yeah, about so, that?
1: So I think sniper school is one of the schools where if you don't have a good spotter, you'll fail. Um,
0: are
1: you and, passing
2: the buck dude? I've never heard you pass the buck before.
0: <laughs> oh, you better no. not be passing the buck right now.
1: No man. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I was, uh, there's certain shots that you just can't see like far dead down, down the road. And, um, you know uh i i had a guy who got a re-enlistment option for sniper school and uh, not an infantry guy and never really shot and um it was difficult meaning that um the way we communicated was difficult for for me so i would say it was communication and sniper school if you don't it's not bad but if you can't see where your rounds are going for an adjustment down the lane i i have no idea where where to correct and so uh it was it was it was disheartening for me because you know when I failed, I called my uncle from from uh Ranger Battalion, his name is Chris Gudaldo, And he's like, Oh, you know, it's a really tough school, and you know, um in, in between that I went home for like five days, I think, in California to see family while the schoolhouse reset it. And he and he was like, you know, if you don't if you don't pass, it's okay, which I didn't want to hear that at the time, so I got pissed oh, yeah. off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um <laughs> And no, I like really, I, I went in deep places in my head. I'm like, you don't believe in me, you know? And so
3: mm.
1: it was one of those things where I would just I, just, I just kept like picturing the shots over and over. And so I think the second time I was extremely adamant about passing. Um, I studied harder than probably I ever did in, in a lot of things in life. And uh, I did well on it, but it took time, you know, I feel like so many times in my life, the lessons I have to learn, I hate doing it, but you got to repeat them, <laughs> you know? um i don't know if that's true with you guys but i feel like the 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 real good life lessons for for me it takes about two times to really sink in and i saw that was the beginning of my uh learning attention to detail um you know aim small miss small you know shadows of your friend you know um and just learning to really be patient when other people are being chaotic and how to stay calm so it, it taught me a lot and so i ended up meeting my unit in country after that, uh, I, I got off the bird, and uh, we landed in Taji. And we landed where they were actually bombing the um, they were actually bombing the uh, um, uh, the the, uh, the airfield. And so I remember this one guy just looked at me, kind of like gave me a thumbs up because they walk him to hell. And I was like, that sounds like so cliche, right? Like a movie, but it was the reality of where I landed. And then I got off, and I had no idea where to go. I was in Taji, nobody greeted me. There was no, like, hey, you're, you know, uh, a time I'm a specialist, like, you go over here, you go over there. I had no guidance. <laughs> so I get off and remember I'm meeting my unit about a month and a half after they deployed. So I was like lost in the sauce for like 12 hours walking around, like, hey, where's, uh, where's 27? And it, keep in mind, I landed at two in the morning, so I had nowhere to go and it was nighttime. So I just slept in this hangar. There was no, there was no, like, no hanging representative there It was everyone just walked off with people that were there to pick them up. So, um, but in the morning I went to chow hall and then I saw some of my guys. And so they picked me up, um, guys named Paul Buki, Chris Franks. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't really good being at two seven because fast forward, some of the things that we did, we were, we were the QRF for the country. So because of that, we were able to be in like the battle of on the job, um, where they where they took over the SF compound and they kicked out the Marines out of uh, um, out of what he called out of Todd wasn't Todgy out of out of uh, um, t- Ana t- uh, Jock we had to go take the city back and so that was the first biggest assault the battle for the Golden City that happened in the war like the legit where we surrounded the city through pamphlets we told them hey if you're in there our our Roe says you're dead so. It was always interesting going in with such loose ROE where um, it was, uh, fingers off the trigger, if you see them, they've had time to leave. Obviously, even in those circumstances, you still use some discretion, right? Because some people can't leave. Um, and so we ended up working with, um, because we're snipers, we, we get, well, I think of us as like the redheaded stepchildren of the military. So we get tossed around to whoever wants or whoever requests us. And so, um, well, we, we got attached to guys from, um, uh, fifth group. So it was four of them. It was three of us. And we went around the city, just walking in alleys, just, um, schwacking a lot of guys. Um, it was pretty incredible. Um, I would say, uh, the biggest lesson I learned from Anna Joff is, uh, never steal another man's steak. And so here's the meaning behind that. <laughs> so, so there's a meaning behind this. So, uh, we had a, met up with a couple of uh, SEALs, some JTACs and some GROM. The GROM were Polish Special Forces. And we were um, essentially holding down an outdoor mall. And they told us, hey, just um, we're 200 yards from the, the uh, from this Golden Palace, which was our objective to conquer it, to, um, to beat uh, Sadr's army, the Mujahideen. And so um, it was literally, I think, about three days of consistent fighting. Um, I don't know how they didn't run out of rounds. Um, we kept dropping them like literally every felt like every 10 minutes we were shwacking at least one person and it kept coming and coming and coming. And, um, but we were out of supplies. (laughs) So like the second day into it, ran out of water. Um, so we had to walk to this one, um, to this one, uh, this one station. I think guys from Charlie company were taking up, were taking over. And so they, they got rations in the middle of the night and they had steaks and potatoes. And so we walked there with, uh, I think it was two SEALs, two S of guys, and it was me and my buddy, Mark Veen. So six of us walked there and walked with empty, empty uh, rucksacks to get food to bring it to everybody else. So we get there and we find out that our little outfit, which is like 22 guys, but random, random different um, uh, people that well, we have, <laughs> we have um, 11 steaks. So one of the team guys says, hey, look, why don't we eat the steaks now? Don't tell anybody we got the (laughs) dicks. And then then we'll we'll take the rest, but just don't ever mention it. And we made a pact. And to be fair, I ate the steak. Like, you know, I'm like a specialist, dude. I'm like, hell yeah, it is a steak. I'm hungry. This is like, I think, day, um, probably the like day, uh, I forgot, like day 20 into it. So 20 days, no shower. I have prickly at the points, 130 degrees. We're fighting. And 100, it's just bad temperatures. Uh, same socks, socks are so dirty they can stand up on their own. Um, so you know what? My selfish nature. I wanted the steak. I had the steak. You know. So uh, so I get back, and my my spotter, this guy named um, Chris Taylor. He's just ro- romanticizing about steaks. He's like, man, I really want a steak, and he's describing the juices of it, how he how he prepares it. And I felt so bad. Like I can't tell him, but I think I ate his steak. You know. So the very next morning, um, I get shot <laughs> a couple times. And so I always tell people like, don't take another mistake, it'll get you shot. So um, when I got shot at the time, uh, one of the guys who was the Grom, uh, again, a Polish special forces guy, he didn't speak any English. And so um, in the earlier stages of the war, we had a lot of people that, 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 we, that we would fight with, you know? Um, so it was rustic hand and arm signals. And so I think he gave me the hand and arm signal where he showed me the weapon and he was like, hey, I'm, I'm out. He, was, he showed me his magazine. So I, universally I thought, I'm gonna take your position. You're gonna get ammo and come back here. So keep in mind, we're in a blown up outdoor mall and we're on the outer p- perimeter. So I'm crawling to him like very slowly crawling on the ground. And I get there and I look down this stairwell and there's three guys that he just killed. And I was like, oh, that means they're in the building already. That's not good. Um, so he just gets up. He stands up and runs out. So when he stands up and runs out, probably three seconds after that, they shot an RPG in the room and they open up on it with RPK. And I was in the room, so um, I, I ended up taking a, two in the chest, but obviously my plate stopped it. One kind of went through on on the ribs. Um, the RPG hit, it sent massive shrapnel throughout, like my head, my arms my right leg on my right side i got peppered everywhere a shoulder all over the place um so when that first happened i saw the white and i thought oh i'm in heaven and then the pain hit i'm like oh wait a i'm not in heaven you know um and then i i think for me the biggest thing about that was the percussion so when it hit me it really disorientates you it really does i remember being on the ground And filming around, and really, all I was doing to the training, I was trying to find my rifle. I was like, I dropped my rifle, so I'm trying to pick it up, right? So then a guy named Chris Taylor and Justin Franks come running in. Um, I think Justin dumps one of the guys trying to come up the staircase, and they just drag me out of there and they throw frags in in, in that hallway. Um, And I think I will. I think I text you a photo of of one of those one of those photos. So
0: yeah, actually, I just shared it with uh, Karen and Nick here so they can yeah you have a picture <laughs> so what what that photo shows
1: is, is a very um just out of the loop specialist pina just getting uh some treatment done to me so you should probably e-share that will
2: did you know yeah, like we'll right get... a... oh go ahead Will. oh yeah
0: absolutely i'll make sure i'll make sure uh you know we put that up somewhere it's yeah. that's wild man that's I like how you've I like how I like the file name too. Blasted.jpg. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: like well,
2: <laughs> should have I, stole that steak, bro. <laughs> I, I it tasted so damn good too, man. But yeah. I want to so. know like when you got blasted did you know like damn it was the steak or I so it's so all night I kept
1: thinking about that because this guy named Chris Taylor he wouldn't shut up about the steak. But he, he had no idea what, that we were going back for food. We were originally going back for water, for ammo, and for some MREs. Um, so when he came back, like when I went there, he just kept talking about steaks. And, and he, was, uh, he was originally from um, Alberta, Canada. He joined the American Army. Um, and uh, when we were stationed in Texas, he ended up eventually marrying a, a Texas girl. And he, he still lives in Austin, Texas. So um, but I felt bad. I remember all night just thinking about it. And I have a conscience, so it kept eating at me. But then I'm like, I got to get sleep, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore this and go to bed. And so in the morning, I woke up still thinking about that. He was cleaning his weapon, thinking like, man, I wish I had a steak right now. It'd be so good. If I put A1 sauce on it in great detail. So I think when that happened, when it was done, um, so here, two things happened. I got shot. Um, mm-hmm. A funny story is if you know anyone who's the infantry tends to have a lot of peculiar people. So Mark Veen is probably one of the craziest Americans I've ever met in my life. So Um, technically Mark Bean was our team leader for this particular, um, uh, attack of the city and, uh, Chris Taylor fell under him and I fell under Chris Taylor. So Mark Bean comes to me, he looks at me and he's in my sniper section. His first words to me, and I'm not a cursing guy, but his first words to me were, fuck you Pina. And I'm like, what the hell do you mean? And he immediately looks at me. He's like, ah, you'll be Okay. He goes to a knee. The medics are working on me, two of them. And he starts talking about the benefits of a Purple Heart and what you get. <laughs> I'm not even lying. <laughs> He's like, do you have any idea what your kids qualify for? I'm like, why are you talking about this right now?
0: <laughs> and um, it's I mean, it I seems could, like, I, I think that sounds like really outstanding patient reassurance, you know? <laughs> but it's things like that that are just, uh, you know, they're
1: just, it. It really makes the time go by fast, but it also it seals the memory
0: of the moment. I would say. Well, I just can't imagine. That's uh, that's that's a tale in itself, you know. And then and then, so what year was that? That had to be like two thousand five, right? That was two thousand and four in July. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then you're you're all busted up in Mm
1: Najaf, and yeah. So then then. So they fly me off to, uh, um, to Balad and I'm seeing there. And I was there for about, I think four days. Um, and it was a lot of guys from our unit that kept flying in there, um, some Marines also. And so um, I remember um, about five days into that they, um, so uh, with a lot of times with uh, bullet wounds overseas, they don't necessarily suture them up because they want you to naturally if you had lead poisoning, they want it to leak out of your body. And so I got shot in the ass uh, through my right butt cheek and out my left. And so every time I kept sitting down anywhere and i stand up, um, it was like I had a you know, it was, uh, I'll, I'll leave your creativity to yourself. But I kept bleeding everywhere I sat. It was embarrassing, you know. So no matter what, shorts, pants, it, I kept leaking everywhere. And so, um, so they sent me back to, I guess, to, to Taji, where our unit was. But the thing was, our unit was still fighting. So there was nobody there. So rear D is there. It's like five guys, I think. And so, again, I get to the same airfield. No one's there to pick me up. <laughs> and So I'm like, I got to walk back to my unit. I can't even get inside my room because all my personal effects were left on the battlefield. And, uh, you know, I don't have my dog tags, which, which had actually my, my, my room key on it so then i gotta like wait there and like it sucked man i'm trying to find a way to get in my room just get some clean clothes and so um i remember i was there and uh um and it just felt very uh i was i was you know at first you're like oh i got shot right it's kind of cool i survived it and then i realized that you know it's day 23 24 no one of my battalions there it's quiet there's no one around me at all um and so I start, you know, I started getting pissed off because, I mean, like, you know, supposed to be good at my job and be, the enemy shot me. So I started going through other emotions, right? Um, and I remember when this one guy named came in. His name was Captain, uh, uh, Captain Mark Leslie. So Captain Mark Leslie, he was – when I first became a sniper, he personally trained us, and he was a RRD instructor for a long time, um, and he was in the regimental detachment for a lot of years. Um, and so in terms of the reconnaissance aspect, we knew a lot about Snoop and Poop. He taught us very well. Um, a lot of unconventional stuff that you don't teach anymore. And so I remember I heard a knock and I said, come in. And, you know, he's one of those guys where I think to this day, I'll probably stand I'll, I'll that stand attention to him. You know, uh, I love him. I respect him. I revere him. Um, and so he came in the room and uh, Mark Leslie's a straight up Scottish guy, violent red hair always in a flat top, you know, um, he's one of those guys where he wore his, uh, his ERB was on his, on, on his vehicle, every sticker you could think of, you know, um, but amazing American. And so he came in and I jumped right up and he was like, you know, sit down, you know, take a seat. And so we're talking and he's like, what happened, man? Like tell me the story. So I told him what happened, you know, and, um, he gave me some really good words of encouragement. You know, he put his hand on my shoulder one time and he said, man, you know, He's like, he's like, you know, at the time of Specialist Pina, you know, he's like, everyone gets hit, man. You know, he's like, I've been hit. He's like, but, you know, I want you to know that you'll come out of this and your brothers are still fighting. So you still have to fight in you. And that's all he said. And he walked out and he was like, if you need anything. So, but he was good. He made sure that uh, um, guys, guys kept bringing me chow after that. You know, every time I woke up, there was a plate right on my door. So he obviously sent a detail to like, kind of give me stuff. Um, and I was back uh, for about four days and uh, we had a guy on rear, he was on rear rear D um, in Taji. His name was Captain Chapman. And so I just told him, I said, sir, like, what do I have to do to get back to Taji? And he laughed at me. He's like, "You're not going to go back there, bro. He's like, you were shot like nine days ago. He's like, he's like, he can't even walk right. And I'm like, I remember, I was getting really upset and I was like, sir, if I like, what do I have to do to get back there? And I think at one point I said, well, I know birds come in and out and the manifest sucks here. I could just hop on a plane and go over there and you wouldn't know because like no one's watching me. Right. Um, and of course, in the earlier years, a lot of weird things happened that would not happen now. Um, and so uh, he just said, you know, Pena, if you could, if you could suit up and if you could run 200 yards at a death sprint and." Um, you know, back then I would usually do my two miles in like 10:51. Uh, so he knew I was a fast sprinter. So he was like, "If you could do that and maintain it with your gear on, I'll let you go at it back." He's like, "I'm telling you, you're a liability." He's like, "I love your heart." He's like, "But you're gonna slow the team up, and you're gonna get somebody killed." I did not want to hear that, you know. So um, I sprint it, and I passed. And he's like, "Shit! All right." i'll send you back i'll send you back this evening so um, how did you do that i just ran hard bro i ran hard and i tried to focus
0: on form (laughs) you know form 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 just not look limpy um what did uh what did your like what were you wearing was it covered in blood like how did you
1: so i was wearing i was back then we were wearing dcus um so uh my ass was bleeding my right arm was bleeding still but I bandaged it up pretty good. I shoved a, like a tampon in my butt so it wouldn't bleed. Um, I know it's graphic, but it stops bleeding. You know, um, and, and keep in mind it, it wasn't bleeding a lot then. It had been like almost eight days, but I'd rip it open every now and then, and you know, um, stuff would come out. So um, I did what I did, and uh, he sent me back. But here's the thing, right? So he sent me back. He sent me back, and when I got there. At uh, two in the morning, um, we landed in Camp Davis. And when I went to Camp Davis, um, uh, I, I I went there. I thought I was going to get a ride into the city the very next morning. Well, it turns out that that following morning, um, they surrendered. So, uh, but what it did for me, I think that was probably a a pivotal moment in Dan Pena's life where um, I was extremely proud of what I did, even though I think he knew we were pulling out that's the reason why he did it, you know? I think there's times in life where you have to prove something to yourself. And um, and I kid you not, um, it was at the time, um, it was under uh, uh, Colonel Rainey. He was our battalion commander with the uh, Command Major Mace. Um, and I had a lot of respect earned there. And I think because I had, I had, I had earned that, that following year, I would go to, to take over this sniper section. I think they figured, well, this guy's an idiot. He won't quit so he's already qualified, let's put him in charge of it, you know, Um, but it really did, it, uh, you know, it it helped me out a lot, Um, it gave me favor with the right people, Um, it kind of more established my name as being um, kind of crazy, but kind of sane, Um, and uh, again, for me, it was something that I needed to do, you know, and so, um, so, you know, I would go back and then, you know, in November, we had Fallujah, And so, but that was the second wave. So the first wave was 82nd. And they gave it to the Marines and the Marines lost it. And then uh, we went to get it back. Um, That was 2004 in November. And so um, Fallujah was like the movies. It was as expected. It was crazy. It was street to street fighting. Um, You know, obviously started racking up more kill counts then. Um, ROE, again, very much um, disengaged if uh, they had plenty of time to leave. And uh, it was a street fight. A true street fight. Um, I think then the unit I was with was uh, Charlie Company 2 7. I was centralized to the battalion for that particular battle. And um, we did phenomenal street to street fighting. We took, obviously, we took casualties. Um, A couple guys died, but uh, a couple Purple Hearts, but not like what we expected originally. Um, So, in terms of uh, what we did for that Charlie Company, we did phenomenal. what was that like on the, on the eve of going into Fallujah? Like, so it was insane. Um, I remember we were sitting outside. I forgot what, I forgot what the Marine base was called, but, um, we, we were there for about, I think five or six days preparing to go into the city. And, um, the entire time air force is just, um, doing what it does best and prepping the city. I, I've never seen, uh, such a barrage of air force go at it. Uh, you, I, I think they dropped everything but a molab, you know, on, on these guys um, for days and days and days. And so um, the night going in the city, I know, you know, I'd, I'd already been shot. So I knew what that felt like. Um, I had broken ribs from that. And, you know, um, they sutured up some stuff, some stuff they did. But it, my scars had healed by then. And I remember just looking at the city and everyone was saying, this is the real deal. This is Fallujah. Like, you know, and it was, uh, it was, um, We went in the area, the opposite of the area where the bridge was, where they killed those two contractors and they hung them so everyone could see. So that really sparked it off for us to take over that city. And I think for me, it was more of um, I think it's the quietness of war when it does to you, you know, it's the quiet things that no one ever says. And that's usually what happens internally. And that's usually, um, it usually has external consequence or external things happen. So for me, I was just quiet. I was getting ready to go into my zone. I was remembering all the phase lines, um, you know, we were always trained never to carry Intel on us. So we had to memorize everything. Um, and if we did have it, it was coded. So there wasn't any grids on it. Everything was, was coded for us. So, um, but just sitting there and just, just going over the game plan um, and just thinking like, you know, I, I loved, you know, had a cool girlfriend uh, before the army, um, you know, so i, I you know, you know, you start to weigh things in your head. You know, I've loved, I've lived a life. I've done some critical things for my age and it's my time to go. It's my time to go. So you start to mentally prepare yourself for what might happen. And the reality is sometimes that does happen. You know, um, guys don't come back or women don't come back. And so, um, and so you just start to get ready and you go in your zone. And then when the bulls fly, um, I was different. I, I, I never yelled. I never liked to yell. Uh, I was always trained with when things get bad, stay calm. It's the guys who can't stay calm. They're not real leaders. So it was literally ingrained in my head at a very young age. Like typically the loudest guy in the room is the weakest guy in the room. So stay calm, but have a plan, you know, and speak clearly concisely because I can't understand you on the radio if you're screaming, you know, so stop it, speak clearly. Um, Because really seconds do does matter under fire. And so, um, I say that, but look, dude. Everybody screams. Right? I don't care who you are, dude. Um, when bullets we'll start going towards your face, and you're like you're hearing the tings and seeing the tracers coming at you, adrenaline pumps up, and you try your best to let it not pump up. But some stuff you can train through, some stuff you can't. And so, but I would say for that particular uh, battle, um, that Charlie Company, we kept bounding with a Marine company to our flank, and um, we did phenomenal, like our two, our two companies, meaning that we just, we kept fire and we just kept aggressively moving on the enemy. Uh, our two companies didn't sustain one KIA. Um, but we had, I think like 14 guys got purple hearts, um, out of the company of like 90. So, um, but there are other companies like that we had there. That was Charlie company, uh, alpha company lost like 14 guys and had like, 30-some Purple Hearts, so it really dependent on the city where you were at and the phase line that you were allowed to move to, um, you know, so it was, it was intense, it was crazy, but it was a, it was a quieting of the spirit and just be prepared, you know, preparing the warfighter inside to do his job, you
2: know? What was the, so you're talking about, like, the silence of battle, right? Like, uh-huh. you're, you're sitting there, or whatever's going on, and you know this bit, uh, the city's just getting pummeled, right? yeah and in your head, you know I'm going in there, like what was the switch from going through in your head like I'm ready for this to okay it's go time like was there an event that happened that you just like switched to stop to be stopping internal and time to go
1: absolutely it was uh it was when they told us we, we couldn't smoke any cigarettes and to uh, get get on the on the you know get on the back of the Bradley and close a ramp and I was like, well now it's time to go. You know, so that was a very much a physical response. And so uh like I said we were outside the city for a couple of days while they were while they were prepping the city for us to go in. Um I think they postponed it one day originally for us to attack. Um and then uh we ended up going back I forgot what day it was it was November the fourth. It was November the fourth that we actually went to the city. It was supposed to be a third I believe we went to the fourth. The only reason I remember the fourth is because my goddaughter was born on the exact same day, November, November the 4th. So my brother was, his wife was expecting. And so, um, so, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, everyone goes different places, man. Some guy listen to hardcore rap. Some guy listen to heavy metal. Some people just look at the stars. Some people look at the dirt, you know, a lot of guys tell jokes. But I think the common sense is uh, buckle up, you know, get ready for impact. And so um, for me, I knew it was real, real. When uh, that particular, I think his name was Lieutenant Ben Polanco. He was our Bradley commander. He says, all right, guys, we're, we're you know, we're heading in, you know, two minutes. You smoke your last cigarette. I'm like, all right, let's, let's get ready to go, you know. Then the door, the door gets closed. And when you're in the back of a Bradley, you're sitting in a back, you're like, you feel like you're in a tuna can. You can't do anything. So our only thing was whenever this Bradley drops ramp, then we have – um, then we could pretty much do our job, but until then, we were just we were just on a ride, you know. Um, and we got hit by two RPGs immediately going to the city. Um, so Fallujah, when I say like we we fought for every block, we fought for every block that we actually had to, had to get. So it, it was a pretty
0: it was a pretty vicious street fight. Um, I gotta tell you, Danny, like I can relate to a ton of what you're saying. Like that that feeling of uh, you know, pin wrapped tightly around you in the back yeah. of a Brad. Yeah. all that stuff but um like were you still doing sniper spotter stuff here or are you doing more at, infantry team leaders all, just...
1: all sniper spotter stuff so at the time again this is still my um second deployment so i'm still a active shooter at the time so uh i was a shooter um wasn't a team leader yet and so um yeah so my job was to carry the uh the long gun with a uh nine mil on my side i didn't have an m4 i just had a long gun bolt action and a a pistol and that was it that's what I carried you know trying to find the 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 enemy and strategically and uh, surgically eliminate
0: him so Fallujah sounds I mean you know you've done you painted such a vivid picture it's just that's amazing uh how did how did it how did you wind down from that and what came next oh and and uh you know it's interesting to me that you know Danny, you and Nick are both like men of faith, and I, I know you is pretty secure in in your belief and you know the Christian story. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about your activities there and how that was involved in your transition uh, a little later. But I just find it interesting that um, you know Nick, you would ask about that like on the on the eve of battle and uh, how that would maybe play into both your preparations. You know, yeah.
2: So just interesting to me because everybody's got like a thing that they remember, right? Whether it's the sound of your shoe on the aircraft platform or smelling the guy next to you cigarette, like there's always something that sticks. And so I was just curious, like, I can't even imagine, you, I, I imagine you hear the bombings going on, like, you know, that that city's getting torn apart yeah. and you're just sitting outside and you're about to head in. Like, how do you mentally prep for that? right
4: and as well, an active think-
2: shooter what you do sorry what you do directly affects the guys like you're trying to be big brother with that long gun right taking mm-hmm. care of the soldiers
1: so I, I think for us um najaf was a good was was a very good um wake-up call so when we when we entered on Najaf, the second we dropped ramp uh one guy got shot I was third out the door and I'm like, man, I'm gonna get shot. So literally, um, it was a street fight from the get-go in the jock 2. So um, I personally thought that I had a, I had, a, we had we were more engaged with the enemy <clears throat> in the jock than Fallujah, because Fallujah, we had so many units there that um, we had very strict um, guidelines and very strict phase lines that we could not cross. Um, I remember feeling very disheartened when um, I'm pretty sure there was a, a unit of Marine infantry guys never getting hosed down. Um, we could see people in the building shooting RPGs and opening fire on them. And I remember we requested to, not me, I remember a guy, Lieutenant Polanco, now uh, Colonel Polanco, he had requested to engage the enemy. But because the phase lines there, because it was about a mile away, um, we could not accurately tell if they were friendly or not, you know? but from the radio <clears throat> you could hear the ground unit taking it you know and you could see them so there are things that happen in war because factor side is so huge that you have to um, be cognizant of your surroundings and you cannot be moved by the emotion of the moment um i think uh people that I, I i always question leaders that are led by their emotions um i'm not saying like don't be a robot have emotions man like you know like have some of that stuff it's called a fire it's called a soul you need that But, um, it's so hard and with a big operation like that to just, you have to stay where you're at and we are soldiers and we do follow orders. And, um, that was the hardest part that I had during that battle. But, um, you know, at that point I, I've always known about God. I, um, I didn't say I, I followed him back then, you know, to be fair. Um, if I wasn't at the bar drinking, I was trying to pick up on girls to be totally honest. And that was my, almost my entire twenties, you know, um. Uh, I would, I would date girls and if they got too close to nine months in my head, like they were getting serious and so I would just dump out, I I would break up with them. I'd find a reason. I was like, are you getting too close? I have to, I have to stop this. But I think in my 20s, I was gone so much that I found a way to, you know, internally, you know, um, just, just find a a reason to do it. So I didn't have um, a girlfriend per se at the time. Um, you know I figured if I was gonna die, and my, my mom would get money you know so it was very much like a rustic way of thinking <laughs> to be fairly honest and it was just like I'm not trying to romanticize it but it was like let's just go you know whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen, you know. Now I yeah. didn't think that way later on
0: but no, that, of course not. in that particular
1: yeah after my head was in yeah
0: I mean, truthfully this is a lot of this is you know, it's not news to me, but it's so, um, sort of illuminating to hear it told by you because you, you know, when we met, we hadn't even, we hadn't even met at this point. you've already, you know, you've already been in two of, the, two of the most extreme situations you can imagine in the last 50 years, you know, and, uh, and you get back, you know, from Fallujah and, and tell us more about that. And I'd love to kind of like pick up where, where our paths coincided. Yeah. So, um, you know, get back to Pelusia at the
1: time, it's, uh, um, it's November. and <laughs> I remember 2-7, uh, Gary Owen, we had a really amazing, like the best Thanksgiving. So um, we got back, like, uh, let, let's say if uh, Thanksgiving fell on the 24th. We got back to the 23rd. Our entire battalion did to Taji. So our entire battalion had um, Thanksgiving off. No patrols. If you're an infantry battalion, someone's always doing something. And so it was the division's way of saying, hey, you guys have done a lot for the last couple months. You could have one day off. So I remember, I remember that Thanksgiving, man, like we're, we're drinking, we're having a good time. And yes, we did have some beer. So because we fought with the Marines, um, it was their birthday during November. So when it was finished, they, uh, they got our battalion an entire, an entire um, uh, cargo thing of Bud Light. So we're just, we're going to town, man. Like we're supposed to have, we're supposed to have two beers a piece. <laughs> not how it went, dude. We, we drank until it ran out, you know? <laughs> so, and of course, um, you know, some people did not drink and I was really quick to ask them for their beer, you know? So it was such a good Thanksgiving just for uh, playing football and for um, connecting and not processing what we did. I don't think I processed it then. Um, but just more enjoying the holiday that w- that was well-deserved or right, if it's a one day of R and R, I think it was totally worth it. And everybody played football. We way too much Turkey, you know, um, we played Xbox, halo, halo was really big back then. So we had tournaments at night. And so, you know, and you just, you enjoy the moment, right. Cause you earned it and, but it still came with the cost, you know, there were still people that were lost. So you would see those guys who were having fun and you would see those guys who, um, they really miss her friends. So everyone internally is in a different headspace and timing, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, 100%. And so <clears throat> we got back and um, I believe we redeployed in February of 2005 um, and uh, we came back and at the time our um, 27 was disbanded, the colors. And I think they went to Fort Bliss if I recall and then um, it was the same battalion. But we just we just switched units, so we were we went from two seven then to one twelve, and I think and I know that's when we came into, to each other.
0: Yeah, man, that's, that's uh. So I got back from my first appointment. and uh, some paperwork ended up in my hands. The next thing I know, I'm like out of a job, and they're like, "Hey, you're moving down the street <laughs> <laughs> to a line unit." And I got to tell you, man, my uh my introduction to one twelve cap to being on the line was, you know, I, there was some culture shock there for me because I came from uh, came from that aid station life. And Nick, I'm hoping you can sort of help flesh out uh, sort of the spectrum that support personnel lie on. Uh, the aid station being like, I was in a co-ed environment. We were definitely doing a support role, <clears throat> but not so far removed as med But the weekend that I reported to 112 uh, was was just there were there were some shocks for me. Yeah. Um, just luck of the draw and having a last name that starts with A, and being new. <laughs> I uh, my first day in the battalion, I ended up as like the staff duty runner just because they're like, oh, let's populate this duty roster with this dude we've never met before. Yeah. So I I you know uh, staff duty is just a one of those silly military assignments where it's just 24 hours and you uh well if you're unfortunate to have it on a holiday weekend it can be much longer than 24 hours but um you just hold down a desk right but as part of this you're supposed to read the duty logs from the guy that was there before you so my first day in uh 112 i'm going over this the, the 1594 whichever the duty log from the previous night and it was a wild night in the barracks. There were like two very serious incidents, including uh, a knife point rape. And I was like, I was like, what in the world? I'm in a brand new universe. Um, <clears throat> we were bad. What's that? We were bad dudes, dude. Well, I mean, that's something that I'd, I'd like to, you know, talk about a little. I mean, yeah. what what do you think happens when you get a bunch of like, Right, 19, 20, 21, twenty, twenty-one—very yeah. young guys, Angry, and highly just, trained yeah. people. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And you uh, indoctrinate them with, you know, murderous impulses, and and give them the technical skill to match, and make sure they're yeah. physically fit. You know, yeah. so uh, it was it was definitely something else. And and we were preparing for deployment as soon as I got there. And yeah. knowing the caliber of professional warrior you are, Daniel, yeah. like I I know you had your guys just uh you know getting ready for yeah, I, we're gonna I have think, to next. i think we
1: we're back for 11 months it wasn't even a full year and we were out the door again um yeah. and so uh, again you know for me i always train guys and let them really get the comprehension that hey you're your enemy he doesn't care about your 40 pass he doesn't care about your love he doesn't care about what you're reading that he's eating rice and he's thinking about killing you that's it so <laughs> if you can fully comprehend that, that how committed he is, you have to be more committed. And, you know, my, my fear was always that um, their heart would fail them in the moment. And so I do believe that if you train hard, and if you sweat more and if you bleed in peacetime and sweat more, you will be less in war. And so I just, you know, after going through all that, I, I probably would train him a little harder than other people liked. Um, probably had a few complaints on me. <laughs> no doubt by my own guys um <clears throat> you know but i wasn't trained them to um to talk i was training them. we have a very real job and can you kill can you take another man's life you know um there are things you have to live with after that go ahead yeah so how old are you at this point uh 25 26 around there
0: yeah so it's yeah. that's yeah it's 2006 mm-hmm. i'm 22 yeah and uh yeah, we're, we're spinning up. We got orders almost right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, what rank were you? At the time, I was a staff sergeant. Staff sergeant. So when, have you gone to, when had you gotten your stripes pinned on? Mm-hmm. So um, I became a sergeant in January
1: of 2005. And I became a staff sergeant in, I believe it was March 2006
0: so uh, yeah yeah okay yep so I reported to 112 in August of 2006 yeah. and uh had you already gone to BNOC and PLDC or was it Warrior leaders course or can you say um, anything about your yeah
1: I, I I'd gone to um PLDC but I think because I made six pretty fast I didn't have the time to go through um uh BNAC, just because like Obviously, I think we have like JRTC and a bunch of other training that always takes priority. They wouldn't let us go to career advantage schools if you miss training. So, um, so and then with the with the amount of time between the turnaround between deployments, I I I went after that particular deployment. So,
0: sounds good. So yeah, you're trying to when you report to 112. Was it? Was it just kind of a reflag for you? Was it still around the same personnel? How did your role change? So, um,
1: <clears throat> uh, give me one second. So, I would say for me, my role didn't change at all. Um, you know, I I went up. So eventually, it was a guy who uh, who was still in the sniper section. Um, he outranked me, but he wasn't sniper qualified. And so, um, I took over the section when I was a sergeant. Um, but the other guy, um, he had gone to sniper school and didn't um, didn't pass. And so, um, you know, as our battalion commander put it at the time, is that like, you can't have a guy in, this, in charge of snipers who's not sniper qualified. So um, I think they sent him to Charlie Company, I believe. And so um, that's when Sergeant Haynes, um, Sergeant Haynes kind of called me to the office and pretty much told me, don't F up. <laughs> And uh, gave me the sniper, uh, gave me the section, followed by a couple shots of you know tequila.
0: Hey, congratulations!
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the way we stood back in the old army, man. You know, we had those uh, those NCO PDs, and everyone everyone left. We're just drinking and talking. Leadership, you know, really good times.
0: Well, I mean, got to build those relationships somehow. Yeah, and i i my recollection is I'm surprised to hear you say you had complaints. You know, because. Uh, Oh, I'm, I'm
1: just, I'm just saying that like messing around, but I mean, obviously I was like, it's funny. So we did, we, we did a zoom call with the one twelve sniper section uh, three weeks ago. And everyone's like, did you train this way too hard? <laughs> like, cause um, I was an avid runner um, and I love to swim. So I swam in college. So I think because of that, I love to combine the two and people who are not good swimmers or runners hated me. And, but I wouldn't just swim and run. I also like to lift heavy. So I would try to, incorporate a variety of things. Um, and you know, they were just, um, I physically beat them up. Um, and then, you know, uh, I was trying at the time, what I thought was, you know, harden their will and focus their mind, you know? Um, and so just because, you know, I, I hadn't seen them perform in action. And so, um, everyone performs differently under fire and under stress. And so I've known guys who, uh, who I thought would be violent warriors. And when the bullets came in their direction, they ended up not being. And I have known guys who were literally six months prior, they worked at Subway and they they ended up being the most courageous guy you'll probably ever meet, you know? So you really never know how someone will respond. And so, but you have to train them up for what you think they might face. Um, And you want your training to be harder than than war. So when the war time does come, they could tell themselves internally, hey, I've been through this already, you know? um so obviously my, every, everything minus replicating the two-way shooting street. so
0: and i bet you'd add that if you could huh <laughs> maybe just, <laughs> just, yeah just some just less less lethal <clears throat> yeah. but please take it as as you know the highest possible compi- uh compliment when i tell you that like you know at that point in my career i was just becoming a a young nco and you had a reputation throughout the battalion and it was, it was just obvious from your demeanor and your actions and the, you know, the quality performance that you got out of your guys. Like I could tell how squared away you were by how squared away your guys were. And I think they set the standard for the entire battalion. Um, So you were kind of a role model at that time for me. And, and I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that you did that I tried to emulate, you know, for my medics. And uh, I'm really grateful that you did the things that you did do and had those guys at such a high level of readiness, because I think the rest of the battalion could look around and say like, Hey, we can do that too." And, uh, you know, it was, you set the standard, man, you know? So it's, it was just, um, I had a couple other experiences that really kind of reoriented me to the other side of, of life in the army, how the warfighter does things. And, uh, you know, it shifted the trajectory of my life, but I just, I'm, very grateful that you were sort of that part of that in informal mentorship and set the example, you know, for the guys that we eventually deployed with.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, um,
0: again, I, the credit really goes to the people that trained me, you know, um,
1: guys who pulled it out of me and they said, this is the standard. So this is my standard and you have to now exceed it. <laughs> right. So, um, I think that's the beauty of training and the beauty
0: of leadership and mentorship is that well, you try to make the next person better than you. And then you start talking about sort of the competitive aspect. And if you can frame that positively, where you're kind of feeding back on each other, you know, and uh, I think that's something that's really hard to accomplish without a certain level of skin in the game or like, or, you know, willingness to, to suffer a little. And it's, Mm -hmm. and you don't understand that until you have suffered, maybe Mm -hmm. uh, just a touch, but tell me, tell me about your thoughts of our spin up and then our 15 months overseas. So also like your previous deployments were they both, they were both, uh, I guess the first one was a little short was the, was the second one 12 months. Uh, for me,
1: I I met them a month later. So because of the sniper school when I failed. So that was, uh, technically like, um, I think 10 and a half months. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the third one, um, ended up being really just, um, Really uh, you know, um I I knew what the enemy did. Um at that at that point I'd already seen uh, both the enemy die, both the Americans die. So um I I had massive skin of the game. Um I was dating a California surfer girl, named my name Andrea for for a long time. Somehow I reconnected with her when I was on mid to relieve for my first deployment. I mean my second deployment. Um and then somewhat off and on maintain that. And then we got a little serious. And uh, um, so for me, just working with those amount of guys, I mean, we only had uh, 11 guys in our section. Um, when I mean culture, like we, we do life and culture together. So um, if Brian Macy's gets in a fight, uh, everybody's going to get in trouble if they're going to fight with him. You know, if, Parsons goes to prison. Everybody go to better go to prison with him. You know, I don't want to hear one of you guys went, the other guys did it. If you're a team, then damn it, be a team on and off. There's no on, there's no off. You're a team. That's how it. That's how it is. And so, obviously, um, you know, I think what seals the bond that really helped us out was <clears throat> hate saying it, but fraternization, You know, I'm <laughs> like, you know, it just I hung out with my guys. You know, but I also let them know, hey, like, you know, when work comes, it's work, and this is not, this is not Danny this is work, you know? Um, And, you know, you don't have to respect me, but you have to respect the rank I hold, you know, I don't have to like my leaders, but I respect what they do. And if you, if you have that level of professionalism, um, I think you can maintain that. I think uh, I never had a guy that would overstep that boundary, but at the same time I was also fair and impartial. So um, if I messed up, you know, I, I purposely would, uh, you know, let them see me get punished. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to let I'm not going to be above reproach. Like I mess up also There's plenty of times now where I drank too much and I, I miss more than one, you know, early formation, you know, or I may have been hanging out with somebody way too late and I was there call my boss. I, like, yeah, so I'm going to wake go. How far is that? It's about two hours away. I'm not going to make it a work today, you know, or come in when you can. Um, again, I think because it was, uh, the war was really raging then there was a lot of um, allowances made because there was allowances made. I think nowadays that would never fly. And so, um, but really when you want to train people, you have to understand that it's not a switch, man. You know, you can't turn it on and off. Um, and there's plenty of times I'm, I was in a bar and I just saw the right guy and he just looked bigger than me. And I just punched him right in the mouth and I was like, we're going to fight because you're big. Now what's the challenge, you know? Um, and so I, I was in cuffs plenty of times, even as a staff sergeant, you know, um, I think I'd, got like, yeah, so a lot of my stuff got swept under the rug, technically. Um, but truthfully, I was, I was a little bit of a loose cannon, but with discipline, if that makes sense. So um, and it, you know, I went one thing I would say is that for those of you guys that are watching this, or if you, people are struggling with stuff that if you don't control that, it will control you down, down the line. You know, and I think what all, all I did was, I was suppressing anger, I was suppressing pain, because I didn't, you know, you don't cry about this stuff. You don't, like who cries right so like you'd hold it in you take a straw you suck it up you bury it in whiskey and you just you know you just continue to fight and train and so um for me i built that culture with them um and then we deployed and the hardest part for me was uh you know we get um we go from kuwait and we get to um well what was it called again Bakuba. Bakuba, there we go no what was the base called Oh geez, I, 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 I almost forgot, dude. Uh, Warhorse. Warhorse, that's right. So <clears throat> I get to, to Warhorse, and I remember um, we we had done a handful a handful of um, of operations at this point. Like I think I did like probably a week of right seat, level, like like, like uh, right seat, left seat, and then maybe two missions. And I was I was at the gym. I was coming back, and then I remember uh, one of the medics. Um, he saw me and he's like have you heard i'm like heard what you know and he, and he's like you haven't heard and i was like i said hey mother ever heard what <laughs> you know and he's like well i can't tell you i actually i actually like stopped him and i kind of had a bitch smacked i was like you're gonna tell me oh it was call was that his name call yeah, that's our yep. call that's our call. call yeah so i snapped yeah, yeah, his uh, mouth. huh so yeah well, finish so, your story now and I'll, and I'll circle uh, back to so I smacked it because he said it so, so elusively, but so firmly, like his, his demeanor <laughs> changed. And for some okay. reason, um, it changed the atmosphere where, where I was walking towards. And I, I had a bad, bad night. Let's just say that. So, um, so, you know, so he ended, he ended up eventually telling me that uh, my platoon sergeant passed away um, with one of our drivers. And I remember I remember just like saying, no, no, it didn't happen. I mean, you know, Haynes was my drinking buddy. Haynes was, uh, the father nobody had. He was, you know, Haynes, um, you know, his great, great, great uncle burned down Atlanta. He came from a uh, military history. He has, uh, his father had someone internally divorced him because, um, Haynes Haynes, mother was a multimillionaire and you can't have money in the military. So he gave up all his cash. Um, he gave it the family practice and he was 42 years old and he was, a uh, he was our, you know, platoon Sergeant. So I love the history that he had. I love the fact that, uh, his mom literally lived in the upper West side did her house is multi-million-dollar house. And, um, and he gave it all up. And so I respect him as a person. And, uh, he, I think the infantry had a lot of guys who were just, um, who have father issues, I will say straight up father wounds, you know, <laughs> you know, daddy was never there, you know? So, um, So you see these great leaders and you really lean and glean from them. And I got the word that he died and uh, I didn't believe it. And so I ran back to, uh, back to my chew, back to my hut. And um, I saw everyone's face and uh, I think that was confirmation enough. And so I just, uh, I went to headquarters and that's when I saw um, Star Major Harris. said, Hey, Pena, I got to talk to you. And then uh, took me to his office and closed the door and, um, Gave me a little alcohol. He said to take a shot. And he took it. and He said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry. Haynes died. And so did uh, so did uh, Corporal Harris. Yeah, Mitts. No, 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 Moots at the time. Harris was Harris was one of the mortars that passed away later on. Um, I love Harris, man. Yeah, with yeah. uh, with yeah. Russell. With Russell. With Russell. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, man. Yeah. So I think um, you know, initially going into country, you don't think you're going to hit that impact, and then, and again, we're just we we're not even on the ground for. Twelve days, and so once that takes a big blow like that, and it's game on, you know. Um, especially internally, it was like they're gonna pay, but um, I ha- I'd have I'd have a meeting with my guys, like, hey guys, we're gonna start going to missions, they're gonna ramp up, and they're all gonna die straight up. But you can't kill innocent people because it was weird. Even though I had so much liberty as a sniper, um, and I didn't call my shots, in dude. If I if I had the ROE, I didn't call for clearance. If I had it, then I took it. You know, um, again, things have changed now. Things are different back then, um, and so it was really just hammering into them like we're going to have emotions, um, feel them, don't suppress them, and we need to realize that the enemy is real, but not everybody is the enemy. You know, not everyone's the enemy. But I think the hard part for me then was that I didn't cry once. You know, inside I cried. I probably wept like a baby inside but I never physically cried because I told myself that if I break down for them who's gonna be strong you know so I have to be that pillar I have to be that Corinth I have to be that strong individual but that really cost me a lot of years (laughs) later on in life um and so that was I think the the catalyst to like a very um a very rugged and kind of worn torn um deployment so we'd come from deployments where we were victors. We conquered Fallujah and Joff. We were kings, you know, You know, met girls, had a lot of beers. We were like, we were, we were awesome. Then this next deployment, the oh six oh seven, it, it really, it just, um, that was one where I came back and I was like, I just kind of want to kill myself, man. This is such a bad deployment, you know? And I'd been, I'd seen bad things. And I thought it was the, um, how long I mean, it was. It never I've, stopped.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, I gotta tell you, like, I was on, we were on QRF, yeah. the dudes that I was hanging out with. It must have been the engineers at the time. We were on QRF. No, we were just coming back onto FOB Warhorse. Like, we were at the clearing barrels. Uh, we got the call about Sergeant Haynes' element. Um, so we went out there and, and you know, assisted. And, and me and uh, the section sergeant and the platoon sergeant from that QRF recovered Haynes and Moots and, and uh, their translator and brought them back and uh you know that was definitely jarring the whole battalion i think like felt that you know pretty personally
2: and uh
0: it was it was immediately clear the caliber of leader i didn't have a personal relationship with him but uh or the or the other fellow but uh It was clear that the battalion had lost a a presence, you know, and a a significant leader. You
1: know, I think that was um, Colonel Goins took it hard. You know, Um, he kept a dog tag for everyone that passed away. Mm -hmm. So every single time you go go to his office, he's another guy I I keep up with. um, And so uh, you go to his office and he would have him hanging right by his desk, every dog tag. You know, Um, a lot of guys would tell him, you know, that's bad. Don't do that. For him, it was a resolve you know, what he he had to do, um, the mission that was before him. Mm -hmm. And, um, but for me, it was, um, you know, it was such a bad deployment, but it was also like probably my best deployment as a sniper. Um, I, you know, I was extremely good at what I did and um, the opportunities presented themselves a lot more than what I thought. Um, I I got detached from my battalion for about five months. and I was working with uh, 20 special forces uh, doing a lot of border interdictions and doing a lot of uh, um, uh, random stuff all all over the place. Um, that was really cool because uh, we had um, we, did, we, we did some really great stuff and uh, you know um, it was great just being able to support them and just living with them. It was great not shaving even though I was supposed to shave um, wearing, you know, civilian clothes and operations and just, you know, fast roping on objectives and just doing a bunch of crazy cool stuff. Um, that was really fun. And then, uh, but the reality is that, um, war was still went on and, um, it wears on you, especially 15 months, it wears on you, you know, I think a year does 15 months. For some reason, those three months just add a world of pain. And so, uh, it was, it was good. It was such a good deployment because we had great times. You know, we talked about, especially if you're on an OP, um, an observation point, you would talk about everything from do aliens exist to like, you know, like Bigfoot is real, prove me wrong, right? Like you would talk about the most random things because you have time, so you would get to know, you you would like recount memories of your childhood, you would share stories that you probably don't share with your spouse, like it was the most intimate of details you would just share because it was like, we have time, man, let's just talk about everything you know um it became really close and uh i think for me i you know um towards the end i didn't handle it well and so i kept wanting to only go on the good missions and it was if it was ever like a a casual mission i would definitely like tell one of the other guys like hey that team's going out that team's going out and as a sniper second sergeant i got to pick and choose what, what, what missions i went out on and you know i remember uh I think David Cudlow called me a, a war <laughs> He's like, you're such a war Danny. And I was like, yeah. but you know, he said that joking, but there was some truth behind that, man. You know?
0: Um, well, that's why. Yeah. that's what good friends are for. Yeah. yeah that's, you know? And that's how they'll do it. They'll do it with a smile, yeah. you know, and a joke and, yeah. and don't, I, I can hear yourself, man. Like you gotta give yourself, like you said, you did a great job and you know, that was just, that was the, that was the doggone wild West. Oh. And I'd like for you, if you could uh, contrast some of the, some of the mission sets and and just the environment, like wow. <clears throat> I think you kind of started yeah, so, to painting painting a picture of that second plane <clears throat> of a conquering force. But so um, I remember,
1: um, you know, some of the missions were just you know snoop and poop, gather intel. You know, as a sniper, I'd say probably ninety percent of your job is observation. Probably five percent of it is is direct contact. But um, you have to be patient and you have to get good intel and um, the army is run off intelligence. And so you want to make sure you give accurate, good information. So you observe people, you know, Um, you learn their habits their lifestyles, what tea they drink, you know. Um, And so uh, most of the deployment was spent under that particular lens and scope, but the other 10%, 5% was, um, it was incredible, man. Um, Everything from uh, um, hopping on little birds, you know, <clears throat> bash roping off, off off things on on. Uh, remember one of the one of the missions with 20th group. Uh, it was actually right outside um, this small town. I forgot what it's called. Right outside Fob uh, Warhorse, that we, we kept receiving a lot of incoming from. We just uh, we we initially found out about this village because uh, we were running in two Humvees. So we used to go around the city in two Humvees, which is uh, no one does that anymore. Only two vehicles, but we would typically go two vehicles, eight guys all all over the place. And uh, we went to the city and everybody closed their windows and (laughs) closed up shop. And we're like, uh, crap, it's going to happen.
0: What if if I said, uh, what if I said Baritz
1: to you? Baritz was crazy, dude. So Baritz, that was all, that was all Bravo company, man. I think I did a lot of work with Bravo company. Um, obviously I did a lot of work with alpha company also. Um,
0: so alpha was over at Mufric and Katoon, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. And, uh, so, um, I think one of the hardest things that, you know, I remember when we first went to Baritz, how um, we got the call at the time, I was attached to some engineers. I think it was Echo hey. Yeah, yeah, Echo Company. And so, um, and I remember uh, they took over the police station south of Baritz, and that's really what started off our initial
0: push. Dude, I gotta tell you, let me tell you, yeah. like I was there, right? <clears throat> <Yeah. clears throat> and this is what, this, so I'll, I'll, I'll set it up and then uh, you, you knock it down, right? You you tell the cool part of the story, but the engineers go in, and there's this IP station that uh, the IP had fled from, and the bad guys in the area had stolen all the trucks and machine guns, and then blown big holes in the walls, and made it. It smelled really bad. It smelled like rotten onions. I'm not yeah. sure why, but um, we turn it into a strong point. But they made me, <laughs> they made me like hang out in the courtyard the whole time that everything's going on. So there's uh, one of my favorite pictures from that deployment is just me reading a Maxim magazine as like contact is going on from the roof. And they're like, doc, go downstairs. <laughs> well, at the same time, dude, if you get a hit, who's going who's gonna to fix us? Dude, I, I did good combat lifesaver training. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, I remember initially when that um, IP station got, it got uh, overtaken. I remember, um, these uh three guys had came out running out and that was right when the lead vehicle it was lieutenant something forgot his name i was, I was, in, his, I was in his vehicle and his gunner hose all three of them and so uh um, we only saw two bodies but it was literally 150 meters in front of us with the bradley so the, the coax got him the 240 bravo the 240 charlie i would say um and so uh i remember he's like all right Pena drop ramp and, and go get the bodies i was like what Oh, they do. I'm in open field, bro. You have, a, you have a tank. Why don't you go drive over there? <laughs> like, why are you telling me to go dismount off an armored vehicle? And I remember feeling, like, really uncomfortable because we're still in a city, and it's an open field, but it's an open field surrounded by cities, and the enemy shoots out of shadows, and I'm like, crap, dude. I'm walking
0: into, like, I was like, oh, just don't get shot. It's going to suck. Dude, we got worked so many times yeah. on that, that stupid access point. Yep. Like, it's yeah. one single lane road. that parallels a canal and then makes a 90 degree turn (laughs) and is surrounded on both sides by buildings. Like, so I definitely, I think think that's all I'll tell you a story. So that's, that's one of
1: the things where I, I, so one of the guys that was still alive, he had a weapon and he turned, um, towards my direction. He had on the ground. So I just, I plugged him up, you know, I shot him a few times. Um, and then I went over to him and I kicked the weapon down. I saw the other two guys, well, they're obviously dead. Um, So then I called the Bradley up and he goes forward and uh, um, shot the guy a couple times in the chest and it's five by six. He, he lifted it. (laughs) So um, I remember seeing him and I remember uh, he was like, you know, it's really weird when you, when you look in your enemy's face and you do you see the life kind of leaving his face. And I remember I just had, uh, I was never really a violent guy. Um, I think that's what made me more of a, a better snipers. I, I was very much a compartmentalizer. I still am in a lot of ways. And so, um, but it was such a bad time because I think, uh, you know, he asked for water. And so I gave him a sip and then, uh, but that was it. And then I remember he was praying. And then I think one of the things that uh, will always get me, you know, I looked at him and I told him, you know, where you're going, you can't come back from, you know? And I, I think, you know, just as a as a personal aspect, I think, you know, uh, I've always struggled with that one the most because I think I gave, I took away someone's hope, you know, um, in terms of rules and regulations, I gave him water. We, we, we met him out of there. You know, I think he ended up passing away at the, at the, at the CG compound. Um, the That governor station that was kind of by Bacuba, whatever it's called.
0: Yeah. It's been a so, couple months. That was yeah, the GC. It was the,
1: the, government GC, the, the, the GC government center. So But it was this, you know, it was such a time where it's like, you know, I really did um, harden my heart, you know, and I think,
0: uh, um, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we just did what we thought we had to, you know, and we did it the best we could. Um,
1: A lot happened at deployment, man, you know, from from the hard stuff to uh, um, the fun times where. You know, we were working with the S.F. guys. We were just we, we drank way too much. We were uh, we were, we were mooning birds as they came in. You know, showing them our butt. So we did a lot of fun things, some stupid stuff. Um, you know, yeah.
0: uh, it's you strange know. how those feelings and certain uh, memories commingle.
1: Yeah, you know. it's, yeah. There's, it's almost like it's too much to dialogue about, and yet there's yeah. It's really weird.
0: But, it's definitely something that I've been, like, as, as the years go on, it's just, like, processing in waves, you know, because yeah. for a long time, I, I was one of the dudes that changed my number and got off Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I became a student. Uh, I did my National Guard stuff, but, like, I wasn't forming relationships there. And mm-hmm. I would try and bring my expertise and do it very clinically, mm-hmm. but not, not get engaged, you know. And yeah. one thing that was super interesting about, about the course of that 15-month deployment for me anyway was like we were fighting so hard for that first like seven or eight or nine months and then uh and then we bring these dudes who definitely have american blood on their hands and and not just like american soldiers from you know the the propaganda films from the Mm -hmm. recruiting videos Mm -hmm. but these are dudes whose names we know Mm -hmm. and we're bringing them to the table to you know build a better iraq and to make peace right and that was hard to swallow in the middle of doing it you know you're doing the do and it's like well here's the concerned local citizens so if you have any additional perspective on that i'd love i'd love i I think one of the biggest
1: things about that was um just working with uh um when i was attached to the group guys that we had we had we were providing a lot more information i think that got shared um we we reacted to a lot of information that other people just did not get and so you really have to understand that you know um you could kill a lot of people in war, but do you end up making more people, more fighters down the line? Or when will this eventually stop? And so um, that's the hard part that you have to both be the warrior, but also be the reasoner in. And I remember we had intimate conversations um, with some other intel guy just saying like, you could kill every single one of these guys and you're going to breed up three times the amount of fighters that, that are going to really kill other Americans down the line. And so you have to understand that it is an infinite game, especially with with them and the way their methodology is and the way their ideology is. And so um, it was, it was tough to swallow because um, I think the great part of being a, just a a soldier is that politics. um, I don't have the liberty of that. You know, when I see my enemy and he's shooting at me, then I'm firing at him. And now it's intimate, you know? Um, And so, uh, yeah, I, that's was, that's was always tough to swallow, man, but you know, um, I don't have a really good answer
0: for that, if that makes sense. Well, you know what? I've reflected on it, and uh, the best understanding I can come to is that you don't make peace with your friends. So that's yeah. just, it's just the nature of war. It's the nature of peace. And I wish that – uh, well, I hope that people are really critically listening to you. When you say that's the nature of the game, the techni- the, the techniques, the tactics, the, the, the protocols, the strategy, that infinite game, that guerrilla asymmetric warfare, you know, that, that people don't appreciate uh, if it's foreign to them. But that's how you win. Uh, you know, that's how you beat a superpower, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Do you celebrate Jesus' first miracle? Like, what? I'm like,
1: water to wine. Do you do, you do it? <laughs> and so I always... Good one. Yeah. Great Lakes, huh? Yeah, well, dude, it's right down the street from us. So, oh, that's yeah. right, Ohio. Yeah. Jeez, I mean, all right. I'm in Cleveland, man. Yeah. Snake on the lake, dude. Exactly, dude. It's Such a dirty river, bro. Such a dirty lake. <laughs> what? Which?
0: It's uh, gosh, I'm gonna, Not Lake Erie, is it? It is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm
1: gonna paddleboard across. It,
4: though. Is Cleveland, like, as boring as they portray it as in the movie? Dude,
0: Cleveland is a badass city. That's what okay. I'm saying, dude. I saw it. I, I like, love it, man. I'm a Drew Carey fan, and dude. there's, like, there's got to be something, right? There's, dude, they got you know. I, I kind of don't want to tell people about it. Like, don't
1: come here and ruin it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's legit, dude. So, like, I mean, I'm obviously from L.A., and I spend a lot of time in New York City, a lot of time in Chicago. Um, Obviously, I came from New York coming over here. So, um, I love those, but Cleveland is it's weird it has a a lot of grit and hustle it's a clean city and yet you can still feel like it's a city but you could still get to the country in 25 minutes from the city which is crazy dude so um obviously i wish the water was a better color because i think (laughs) it's disgusting um but in terms of a city it's actually really cool and it has the second largest um so like the nerd side of me is I'm really big into poetry and to like theater and a bunch of stuff like that. So that's the second biggest art district in America. The first one is obviously is Broadway, you know, in New York City. Has the second largest. So any any band you could think of, everyone comes to here. Every single, you know, if you want to see anything on Broadway, it's here also. So I like that, dude. I like the arts, man. Okay. I mean
4: I stand so Cleveland is not as boring in as in the movies
1: so it's funny so when I go when I got hired to come here um one of the questions he asked me was like so what do you know about Cleveland and I'm like I know about the Cavaliers I know about the Drew Carey show that's about it <laughs> I mean so I, I I I thought that exactly right when I came here yeah and then it's it really is grown on me you know it's grown on me so what's that hiring process like for
0: a a man a man of the cloth oh uh, bro <laughs> um, I honestly,
1: don't know, man. What my, do you want me to say? Like that's right. like. So, ooh. I would say that my my place has been very untraditional in terms of how I even got into this role, um, how I'm here, and it's been very much, uh, I would say, God-centered. Um, it was very much fortuitous. It was it, it was not, you know, um, none of this is by chance. And so, uh, yeah, so. I could go more about it, but I'm not sure if that'd be skipping some some steps, you know? So
0: Yeah, let's circle back then. Uh, yeah. So here we are, probably freaking, let's see. We left in October 2006 yeah. and shit got real as soon as we landed. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know, the rest of 2006, I had a weird experience, kind of reminiscent of your experiences in Taji from that previous deployment. And I I don't know what your... Uh, infill to five war horse slash bakuba was like but they just like let me well, i ended up on some chalk that only had like 20 dudes from 112 mm-hmm. on the on the bird or whatever mm-hmm. so and it, similarly i think we landed at like midnight on halloween or something yeah. similarly eerie and i was just and, and it was like as you described in taji there's no one there to meet you there's not there's certainly not like street signs or illuminated you know street lamps for sure yeah. and it's just like well get off the plane or get off the get off the bird because we're, we're, get off the bird <laughs> this is annoying. where you live now yeah thank God we've, we've gotten
1: way more logistically organized since then <laughs> you know um, yeah you know it was uh, I think for me to, to tell a funny story so uh, we're, we're that night where we're waiting to for someone to tell us where, to, where we're gonna live right where I think the, our entire company is on the, on the flight line. We have nowhere to go. And so, um, this one guy walks up to me and he says, Hey, you, are you Pina? And I, I look at my chest. And I'm like, last time I checked, like what kind of stupid question is that dude, you know? Um, and then he's like, Hey, did you ever get in a fight at wild
0: country? you were wild country um no yeah. i don't never i've never been to wild country you can't you can't prove that the name precedes it
1: so um oh, man. so i'm like uh yeah why so he he literally gets his hand and he pulls his tooth out and he goes hey i think you knocked my tooth out <laughs> and i was like oh my god i'm so sorry so he ended up being a tanker in our battalion um, like, sometimes you get in these bar fights, you don't know who he hit, he just hit the first guy you see, so, um, so, so anyways, our
0: last, our last, we I have friends. to, we, we I just, yeah, great, yeah. I have to tell you, our last, uh, our last guest mm-hmm. was, a uh, an armor dude who worked his way up to a brigades arm Major level at some nice. point, so. Nice, dude. But, you know, tankers, right? <laughs>
1: hey, man, they're, they, they. I've been saved by many takers, dude. I have nothing but
0: respect, man. You know they've come in. Yeah, I was standing on the side of uh, Route Vanessa or Victory, rather. Yeah. And and uh, and an Abrams went by at forty-five or fifty-five or sixty miles an hour, and I, you know, silently put an asterisk next to every time that I <laughs> that I run my mouth like that. You know, I'm like, but. I will call you. <laughs>
1: I, yeah, yeah. That is a, yes, that's bro. a,
0: brrr, yeah. the earth shakes. Yeah. You just yeah. know that big guns can, can reach out and.
1: Send a canister around, them. bro. Make God, some, just, make some noise, you know? Yeah. Talking to, talking to people. Yeah. Communicating. I, I think that's the beauty of, um, especially in war is like, you know, when you train, I think there is arrogance, but if infantry people, infantry arrogance, right? We think we're better than people. Mm-hmm. To be fair that still exists, you know? Um, but war humbles you, and you realize that when, when you really see the, the full brunt of what the Army could bear, how every single piece factors into the greater good of the mission. Yeah. And it's really great when, if you've ever been part of a, a large-scale operation, you see the Apaches go to work, you see the tanks with AD Bradley's um, MPs, you know, intel guys going at it. Like, everyone really plays a part. And um, I know we could, you know, we have these little divisional, you know, jab comments. But the reality is that, like, everyone plays a part, man, you know? And I think that's a wars kind of um exposed me to. So like, mm-hmm. everyone's needed. So I, I love tankers, dude, because they've they saved my ass more than once. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah, nothing but respect.
0: But it, it sure is fun to, like, poke fun and yeah. to sort of, like, build the esprit up core through that um, – I don't want to call it hazing. What what is it? Uh, hazing like life. aggressive aggressive nurturing and the yeah. uh, you know low blow comments. Yeah, team right. building. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so uh, let's see.
3: Early or
0: T- er, early in that early in OIF six eight, we're mm. kind of we're caught up through the late part of two thousand six. We get yeah. into two thousand seven. Yeah, the it just just the slog continues, right? Um, finally, like we bring some some stakeholders to the table, kind of turn the corner, mm-hmm. and it looks like that, that's, you know, looks like that's the- uh, End of the fun stuff? Well, the general, I was gonna say the general climate of the, the entire AO. Yeah. So we're winding down. It was really, my experience was that it was definitely like two deployments yeah absolutely. you know it's like the first the first one the second one kind of you know an abrupt
1: change yeah I, I i think i think the the blessing for me is when um the rough stuff i was always with um with obviously with, with our with our battalion and once it started getting light from the conventional side that's when i had the opportunity to work with the yeah, special forces guy so i might have had a different like um perspective just because we were still busy in a different way though um we were doing a lot of uh, interdictions, a lot of hits, a lot of, um, you, know, um, you know, knocking on people's doors in the middle of the night and shaking, you know, mixing things up, gathering some good intel. So um, that was great, but you're right. It went from being um, my worst deployment to being like, we need to do stuff because now I'm just bored, you know? Um, and But the war was still raging on. There were still pockets of violence happening places. So it, it, it went from direct contact to just, hey, now Intel really has to lead this thing, you know, yeah. opposed to
0: yeah. being an We had to be proactive. Absolutely. And my take was that, like, the situation that we inherited, yeah. we, we had to work really hard to improve it and get to that point because kind of the unit that we replaced, they were, they were content to, you know, kind of hunker down. They weren't, they weren't as aggressive in it and, it. and it kind of created an opportunity for the bad guys, right? It did. Yeah, I just, I just kind of needed to. Oh, hey, that reminds me. Have you read uh, first Aunt Colella's book? Or do you have any? I was you know, there.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I get her. Yeah, read it. yeah. yeah. no. Like what? From what I hear, it's incredible. It's, uh, it's accurate. Um, you know, but I, I think you know when. It, I think it's truly hard for people to understand how it just um, like seven months was just one day after the next, and how it didn't stop, and we had a lot of guys die. A lot of guys get um hurt in a bad way and it was just um was over and over and over and over so i think there are there are some people that i know um who just don't want to read it because it's like pulling the band-aid back right right so they're just like they're full of stoicism okay i just don't want to i just don't want to you know go there and so um i haven't read it personally just because um it's not that i'm against it like i'm not against it at all man it's just you know just like i was there i, I lived it and you know, so, but, uh, obviously, the way I think about
0: it is like, I can watch that movie anytime, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Now I just watch it through a different lens.
0: Yeah, well, thankfully, <laughs> you know? because, Probably. you know, yeah, no. definitely, thankfully. So, uh, so I was we- stop lost to, or, yeah, to, you know, tag along for the latter part of that. Um, so when I got back, like, I think most of the battalion was still on on block leave when i came i came back to uh, two weeks early uh and turned my stuff in at cif and was gone and i didn't even you know i didn't even I, i'm thinking back on it i definitely would have done it very differently but i didn't really even say any goodbyes you know and i think that probably bit me a little later because you mentioned you had some pretty uh pretty intense down times too right, right? like just dealing with that stuff so once, I mean, if I if there's anything we missed from kind of the rest of that deployment that you'd like to hit on, by all means, yeah. but tell so, me about the tell me about your next moves. So, um, I'll
1: bridge into that. So on on Mitch to relieve for that deployment, I went home um, and I uh, got a DUI, and I remember I'm like I'm in California, no one's gonna ever find out about it. But I you know I have a conscience, dude. You know, so I I I went back and I told um. First Sergeant Franklin, who's now um, Command Sergeant Major Franklin of the 173rd. He's gone places. Um, although I told him, I'm like, hey, uh, so I was home. and I got DUI, man. He's like, really? I, mean, I, was like, I could have not told you. Like, I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm like, dude, I was like, it was my last day on leave and I drank a lot and I got pulled over. He's like, damn, dude. He's like, well, he's like, um you told me, let's let's see what happens with this, but I think nothing will happen with it, and then I think because it happened in the eve of all of our, we were busy, that um, it just got lost. You know, nothing happened with it, dude. I, I, I told two people, actually, and
0: not just him. Um, yeah. you know, I can tell you that there were a number of uh, yes, like staff NCOs oh, yeah. who may have had similar transgressions yeah. that yeah. I kind of yeah. heard the scuttlebutt about, but never any uh official repercussions let's say so
1: so we get back and this is december 2008 and we're all getting ready to go on leave and uh and i believe for christmas right and Mm -hmm. so we got back the 10th or 11th people were obviously different times depending on the chalk you were on and so uh first day back um i i drink a lot i fall asleep in a parking lot in the mall parking lot (laughs) get a knock on the door by a cop he's like he's like oh god not again so i got i got two DUIs so um that one i could not ditch so uh ended up getting a general letter of reprimand for for that one um you know which was kind of hampers and stuff for my career but um kind of sucked but i mean not much i could do with that you know um i'm honest with people dude i'm not gonna lie like i was i I told the cop, what do you do man i drank a lot i don't want to walk home (laughs) like it's cold outside, dude. It's December in Texas, man. I don't want to freeze either. I don't have to keep It's off.
0: like fifty five degrees out here, man. you
1: i know, right? Fifty five like Texas is cold, dude. You know, like, like once. <laughs> you know, obviously, You know, being stationed at Fort Drum, that's like that's sweater weather, right? And so um eventually you could be stationed there also. Uh so you know what I think for me I didn't handle it well. Um I drank heavily and it came to a point in uh in March, March fifteenth where you know, I had three letters written out to my mom, to my brother, to my best mate, you know, and uh, um, got a Glock, put it to my head and pulled the trigger and nothing happened, you know. And it was really weird when that happened because I was, of course, I, I, I couldn't do it soberly, right? So I had to get uh, really crap drunk. And then, you know, I think I I think I played like one more game of like, um, of like uh, what do you call it? Uh, what's that war game everybody plays? Yeah. Uh, Call of Duty. Call of Duty. I did. I played one more game of Call of Duty, one more round, just to get it in and talk smack to little fifteen-year-old kids, you know. Um, and then I, you know, you know. I remember I had my dog at the time, so I put her in her cage because I didn't want the idea of her licking my blood or eating me. That was disgusting because I saw plenty of dogs eat people and cats eat people. So that's always burned in my memory. So, um, and it was one of those things where, man, I can't describe it how. Um, should have died you know glockstone jam you know um and so what they have no safety right and so uh you know the bullet you know the fire pin hit it just didn't nothing happened with it man um and so i remember it was that time where um i'm sorry at that time i did not have a dog i did not have a dog um and so it was just uh i just it didn't handle it well man you know be fairly honest and i thought i was better off dead than alive you know and um you know, it, it took a I'm just going to do some internal Ross emotions that I just did not have the gumption to talk it out. Of. Cause back then, I don't care what you said. If you talk to somebody, you were flagged. So you just don't talk to people, you know, you just take a straw and suck it up and keep
0: moving on. And so, um, yeah, just to clarify for folks who like, maybe don't understand, uh, yeah. like a flag means no positive. It's an administrative status. Yes. That means you don't get anything positive to happen for you you get, no, you don't get no. to <clears throat> use your education benefits yeah you're you're not supposed to go on pass you yeah. can't be promoted you can't go to school it's a big deal right. no favorable action yeah you know so um you know there's plenty of guys who
1: would just you know who would go to mental health clinicians and the next thing you know they're out of the army i used not want to be one of those guys you know so i just kept my mouth shut and uh and so i remember um I remember, I had a long conversation with uh, at the time it was uh, uh, major um, uh, major Pulaski. Remember him? He passed away. Um, I and, uh, uh, yeah, he shot himself yeah. too. Yep. Yeah. So yeah,
0: he was the he was the uh, outgoing out,
1: major major Posnik. So major Posnik during deployment. During hey, buddy, how's it going, son? It's wonderful. Okay. So during um, during deployment, he was uh, he was my um, he was our S three. So we would he never gave me a beer, but he gave me like Diet Cokes, and we talk about life, about different things. Um, he really major positive this one thing with me, where he's like Pina, he's like I love you, man. I really I love you like a son. He's like, but you're too crazy. He's like, but you're weird crazy. He's like, you're not a screamer. He's like, you're quiet, which scares me, <laughs> you know. And and I'm like, sure, I'm not gonna hurt anybody, man. Like, I'm I'm good, you know. He's like, you ever thought about getting a dog? And I was like, what the hell do I want a dog for, dude? So, um, he's the reason why I bought a dog. I bought a black lab named Spotter. She's a girl, but she's a tomboy, right? So, you know, a sniper, she's a spotter. So, um, so I got her, and literally, dude, when I got this dog, dude, I stopped going out because I wasn't afraid she was afraid she's gonna poop all over my house, dude. I stopped going out. I stopped like, I stopped drinking. In excess, um, I started getting into kayaking. I would take my dog to like dog parks. I take it like Austin to like write like dog things, man. And for me, that really, really helped me out. It's weird what an animal does to for your mental mental health and your clarity. And um, it really centered me. It's as crazy as that sounds. You still have the same dog who's lost a lot of pep in her step, but she's still around. You know, she's downstairs, probably sleeping like she does 23 hours out of the day, um, you know, but uh, I've, I've known my dog longer than I've known my wife, longer than I've known my kids, you know, um, and it's weird how dogs know when you're going through stuff, how she was such a, you know, when I, when, when I got her from the pound too, I didn't want a dog that was too hyper, I didn't want a dog that was skittish, but she was just even keel, and so um, I think I as much as I rescued her,
0: she rescued me if that makes sense absolutely and, I got yeah, as you know, I got something on my hands right now I got a yeah. new addition to my uh yeah. living situation and it's it's you know grateful to have the company especially during safer at home is what they're right. calling the Wisconsin lockdown, but uh yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, so that's cool. you and Spotter got together in early. This must be two thousand eight, so, right now.
1: I got her. I got her two weeks after I tried to commit suicide. I got her in January, March, April, the first week of April. Ooh. I got her two thousand eight, and she was um, she was a year old. So she was older, but still kind of puppyish.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So she's almost man. She's she's older now, dude. You know, um, but yeah. So that's when I first got her and yeah. came came down on orders to uh, yeah, I came down on orders to be a, an OC in California at ntc um so you know i went there and um in route over there uh there's one particular saturday where i had this uh email alert and it says do you want to renew your subscription for e right so um I, I'm, I'm not a i'm not a supermodel but i don't think i'm a bad looking guy you know um you know as you know i'm still proud that i could take my shirt off and my chest sticks off further than my stomach. You know, if it reverses itself, I got to make serious life decisions, you know? So, um, so, but I had a, I had a really bad time talking to women. (laughs) I couldn't do it. It was like Helen Keller dispelling bee. Nothing, it was, nothing was going to go well. And so, I'm sorry, that's pretty bad analogy. that (laughs) Amazing woman. (laughs) So I joined the harmony, um, back when we were deployed, but I forgot that I, about my entire year subscription because, well, you know, we were busy, dude. Yeah, I, I stopped checking emails, man. You know, I just, that was one of the things I wanted to worry about. I stopped checking emails. So um, obviously back then it was expensive for a year subscription. So um, I did not want to renew. So I got a pizza and a six pack, went back to my apartment and I spent the entire two days canvassing. I think I had like, um, I were like 271 little, little pokes or interest, but this course over every year, right? Um, uh, not all winners, and so I limited down to two people. And so, because I had orders in California, I put it towards Los Angeles. So keep in mind that my, um, my span was, I was like, I'll be I'll anybody in the US, I could fly there, you know? Um, so I obviously had a, a limited cone of focus when I went to California. And um, so me and this girl named Daniela, who's now my wife, we talked for about about a month, I would say um, via email. Um, And then, you know, the way it works is after you feel comfortable talking to email, it will allow the person who initiated the conversation to take the next step as a phone conversation, it'll share your number. So we did that and we talked for two weeks. And, um, you know, I just, I remember the first time I I met her, um, I still had the older Range Rover, I pulled up with that. I had the mountain bike on top. I had the kayak, um, racked on top of the rack and I saw her and, you know, she was wearing blue. I was wearing gray and we were at uh, a Colorado Boulevard in, you know, Los Angeles, California. And we went for brunch, brunch turned into an all day date. And then, um, you know, and then I had to go back and leave her cause I had to go sign in to Fort, to Fort Irwin. <laughs> so, um, but over the course of that, you know, we would, we started dating and then, You know, she broke up with me at one point because she said I was too crazy, to be fair. I had some issues I had to work on, you know? And so uh, it, it was good because I think I saw the quality of who she was and how she wasn't afraid to say no to things. And I was like, you know what? I really do push the envelope. Like, it really started to really sink in, like, the gravity of my choices you know in life <laughs> you know yeah, it took a <laughs> lot yeah
0: like falling in love gives you a little bit of perspective yeah. and you're like holy God, sh- man, holy smokes know? i, I yeah,
1: take no. a lot of risks <laughs> yeah and so um you know it was uh it was good but i think you know um you know it's it was such a blessing to meet her and she was in the industry you know in, in california so man we had when i mean i had a good time in california i had a good time in california man i met mean, I drank the best wine. I went to the most expensive wine vineyards, you name it. She had a, she had the wine cellar thing where any wine place she went to, she had the industry card. So we all drank free everywhere we went. Um, Some of her best friends were some of the best, you know, renowned chefs in Los Angeles. So like, when I mean she was hooked up, like she was hooked up, like I got hooked up vicariously through her. And so I had an amazing experience dating her, you know? Um, And then so, uh, you know, um, got married. and and i'm still an oc in california so um that's pretty redundant we go train we go observe other people that are training and then we're in the sandbox for about two and a half weeks out of the month we're training for 10 days and we usually have four days off once a month and we have two days off and that's it so we usually have a four day followed by a two day and then we train for the next couple weeks so that was my schedule so um we ended up uh, falling in love and i asked her to marry me. in December of 2009. And J- July 24th of 2010, we, we got married. And uh, it was in, um, you know, I came down to orders to go to um, Fort Wainwright, Alaska. And we were going overseas to do some stuff. And that's what I found out. Hey, say a Couple months after that, we found that she had cancer. Um, it hey, was where'd you guys be, get
3: hitched?
1: We got hitched in California at uh, a wine vineyard. Um, Super cool wedding. Um, I think at the time, I think you were MIA. You were uh, Mr. Couldn't get a hold of anybody. Um, so Steve DeVries came down, a lot, of, a lot of soldiers. So Danielle was from Oregon. So she had a lot of friends go down there, but Danielle's, um, her family is all Southern Baptist, uh, her lineages. Um, and so you get a lot of Southern Baptists with a lot of aggressive infantry guys. It was a very fun wedding at a very nice place where a lot of alcohol got snuck in there that should not have been there. So yeah. my grandfather got hauled out of there in a, in a, in a wheelbarrow. Um, literally guys are being dragged out of there just cause no fights, just cause they drank way too much wine. Um, it was, it was fun, man. You know? Um, so yeah, we got married. Um, no one expects after three months of marriage to have cancer. Like any, anytime the word pops up, it's always scary no matter what, degree or level is and um her was stage three and it was spreading so they had it just literally it's weird because they call it the old the old lady disease i believe that's, that's what it's called when you have thyroid cancer it's like it's typically people get it over women get it over 50 i think like tr- tr- uh, in terms of a, like a traditional nature and so but the way that daniella started to spread her, her lymph nodes um they were afraid that it would go start spreading to other parts of the body and yeah, that's Obviously, nice. once it gets in your blood, you know, um, it's, you're, it's never good. So um, we, she ended up having a couple surgeries, um, a couple, uh, I think it's um, radioactive iodine treatments. She has a swallow that iodine pill. Um, she had a couple rounds of that. I think altogether it ended up lasting about nine months from start to finish, from the, from, the, from the first surgery to the last treatment around that time frame. Um, When that happened, I was, um, my orders to uh, Alaska got canceled and I was, I was compassionately reattached to a recruiting station in Los Angeles. So um, I wasn't a recruiter, but I was working at a recruiter station. And so I both loved that and I hated it because I didn't get the recruiter pay and yet I was still getting um, the pay from uh, Fort Irwin, which is one of the lowest paying places to be stationed at and I was living in Los Angeles. So I actually had to pick up a second job. So um, I'd be- You were out, working
4: a second job while you were active duty military?
1: Active duty and my wife had cancer, yeah. So
4: wow.
1: um, I actually uh, was working as a caterer for one of her chefs, which is phenomenal. You know, 25 bucks an hour, um, you know, meeting great people. We, we ate great food afterwards, you know, so it um, ended up being a really good gig um for that particular season of my life. And uh once that was done and over, we got orders to California. Um I'm not to California, we got orders to Fort Drum. I would go to Fort Drum in uh it was September of 2012. And I'd be um I'd go over there and I'd take over a a scout platoon um for a a little while then I I got I went back to a sniper section sergeant. And then, right before deployment was going to hit, um, I took over a line company as a platoon sergeant over there, and um, deployed with them. And, I did and how was your
4: team. wife doing on all that timeline? Like, was was she done with her treatment? Like, at the time, she's done,
1: she was done with her treatments. She is um, so she she was finished with them after the nine month mark, but she had to keep getting checkups. You know, okay. as as that goes, you know. Um, obviously more checkups when the, when the procedures are over, but less as they go on. Now, now it's been past five years. So, um, she's cancer free. Thank God. So, um, it was tough for her because you know, her, her parents came from, um, from money and, uh, she married a soldier and we yeah. don't actually have a lot. You know? yeah. Um, I came from kind of humble beginnings. So, um, it wasn't tough in the aspect that she required money. Like, that's what I love about her. She's so phenomenal. But it was tough in the aspect of like, I took her away from a really cool life in Los Angeles. Really cool life. And I'm yeah. like, hey, do you want to go to Watertown, New York? <laughs> like, <laughs> like,
0: who doesn't want to go there? Right. So, um, just as an aside, my sister and her husband are currently stationed in Watertown, New York. <laughs> <laughs> I actually,
1: I, I fell in love with the place eventually, but it took some time. It yeah. took a couple years, actually.
0: Well, I think um, with most military towns, you have to get out of the footprint, you know, and, and yeah. get oriented to the part of the country that you're in. Yeah. Because I hated, Fort Hood was, uh like, I spent a lot of time at Wild Country and, you know the the irish knockoff over there yeah yeah until i figured out that wait austin's not that far away and there's some really great hiking and camping and kayaking and you know you call them dog things but i think it's just like really fun outdoors
1: things. so we also forgot to mention so after deployment 2008 me and will we went
0: snowboarding to was the Vail or breckenridge we went to Vail, man. We uh, Vail. we did it. We did it first class, and Masis was gonna come with us. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I was. That was a real bummer because I know his grandmother, right? Yeah, it was a. I think it was. Yeah, uh, one of his grandparents had a stroke, and it was the eve. It was just as soon as we got back, and we had put a little bit of research and and thrown down some cash, you know, for this uh, pretty nice condo in Vail. And do you remember? Do you remember Francesca? And do you remember our uh? our lessons yep yep hooked us up man yeah, yeah so so francesca so had you ever you would you you mentioned being a surfer right but i don't yeah. know if you've ever snowboarded before that no. right
1: before then, i never had only water so me and you we mean you got lessons right yep
0: we took that half day and i if i recall correctly there was a family of um three i think mm-hmm. uh, a dad and two kids and then another guy maybe like in his mid early 20s right yeah and uh Francesca was our instructor and it turns out that she was a waitress at the premier eatery over in the west village or whichever so she gave us some cards for like a free appetizer and a free um dessert so I got to have some lobster bisque yeah but we were up there on the side of that hill me and Danny and then this family of four and this other random dude and we're getting our freaking butts kicked by the mountain. Just and she's doing a great job teaching us. She is. But uh, everybody quit except for yeah. the, the the little girl in the family and the two of us.
5: Yeah, <laughs>
3: because the they were just like, this. no,
0: snowboarding's not for me. So what I remember from the rest of that trip is uh, beating, taking a beating, just getting beat up by the mountains, and nothing really clicking until oh and the night we had some nice times in the mm. you know the veil nightlife but mm. um that might be a little overstated or maybe just mountain town nightlife isn't
3: yeah like, yeah isn't,
0: isn't wild yeah. boy just just back from you know a 15-month deployment nightlife but uh yeah. we but i remember waking up in that very nice condo and kind of like Our meeting eyes and, like, this unspoken agreement, like, after three days of just, like, bruising upon bruising upon crash upon, you know, embarrassment. Like, if it doesn't click today, (laughs) we're in big trouble. (laughs) Unfortunately, we get out there and, like, start doing stuff right and having fun. Yeah.
1: That was a great mountain, dude. That was a
0: mountain. That was was phenomenal. Yeah. It wrecked uh, wrecked all the local spots, you know. Now, I've every – I went on a streak for like seven or eight years after that of managing to get out west, Mm. not always to Colorado, uh, but and you know who else? Like you remember Ski, right? Yeah, yeah. So that dude, him and I were battle buddies from my first deployment, and he was huge in getting me sort of hooked up into like that outdoors sort of recreation. He was a big uh, boulderer, yeah, like just a great athlete, outstanding athlete. His story is something else. I can't wait to reconnect with him, but. Didn't he go to like the Philippines? Yep, he spent some time in Southeast Asia. And Did he lose time. his leg. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Like, that's a that's a crazy story that involves what's yeah. called yeah. the Ferris Doctrine, which yeah. involves army malpractice. But mm. I'd love, to, but I'll, so I can talk more. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll fill you in about that yeah. uh, some other time. But dude, another notable thing besides just the beatdown. That, that mountain gave us and Francesca's kindness was uh the random individual this fella in the airplane seat next to me when he when you know you know how it is like you start having these conversations and if the person I'm not you know I'm I I could do either thing I think I could sit quietly or I can you know chit chat a little bit. Uh and this dude kind of drew me out which took some doing I think I was more inclined to be quiet at that time. So he drew me out a little bit and was like talking to me about what I was doing and, and, you know, who I was and stuff. And uh, I mentioned that we were in the situation that we were in and I was meeting you out in Vail and he's like, wow, I really can't imagine like a better way to decompress. And I'm like, you know, looking back, I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right, but you know, whatever. But his uh charity of heart, you know, his generosity of spirit to just like, once I identified myself as like uh, a soldier, just fresh back from some harrowing experiences trying to like just like get my mind right dude was just like
2: he's like here's my
0: contact information i'll help you with your resume and i'm like okay i never like i never followed up you know yeah he just i just i was i don't know i didn't know how to navigate that i was just blown away by the outpouring of you know support uh i think that's interesting how there's
1: there's so many times in my life where i meet the right people at the right time and it wasn't that they weren't right, is that the, my timing was
0: off. Yeah, I wasn't ready. You know, that it guy could have – who knows what he could have done for me. Uh, but I just have to thank him and think – you know, I, I still have his name written down somewhere because I yeah. saved it in my email inbox, but I wasn't ready. You know, I had to take some time away and do some other things. Um, yeah, I get it, man. You circle know? back, yeah. So besides oh. besides the dog and the girl, I oh. mean – saving your life but also bringing you into a new world of yeah. stressors
1: All right so um and eventually getting deployed 2014 as platoon sergeant and uh, my son was born in that deployment um i had to miss the deployment because i had to miss his birth because deployment so uh, when i met him he was two months old yeah uh, that was really cool really amazing um and then uh you know as As my, let's just say, a couple scars in my body from my original um, injury started to slowly catch up with me, Um, I blew my knee out. And um, I forgot to mention it was in 2009, I had knee surgery to remove. I didn't realize I had shrapnel in my knee. I just, I could always play with it. I just thought it was like, ah, I don't know why I was weird. I didn't care about it. (laughs) That's an
0: army. That's, that's, no one else thinks like that except for hardcore army dudes. You know What is this?
1: I can yeah. still run. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um ended up ended up causing a series of bad things on my body. So um in two thousand and uh fifteen they started the medical um chapter paperwork. So it ended up being where they offered me a um I'd like a, a desk job or I think it was something like um it was something horrible. I forgot what it was, but they offered me. But I'm like, dude, I'm a I'm an NCO. I have my bachelor's. Like I have my college degree. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm out, you know, like I am, I am out. So, um, but and, you know, even that came with a lot of, you know, you know, there's a lot of things that we still wanted to do while I was in, I I didn't get to. And so, um, and you know, so if I had to humbly bow out and you know, one thing is injuries do is they humble you, you know, you're not as fast as you used to be. And so, um, about out, and I medically retired in 2016. Um, and right when that happened, uh, we had plans to come back to the West Coast, kind of um, either one fall in line with the family business. Um, that was their plan. And so, but we had slowly started to do a lot of volunteer work at this church that was by there, um, this church called New Life Christian Church in Watertown, California, in Watertown, New York, excuse me. And so um, about, I would say January of 2016, the senior pastor calls me in his office with my wife and the executive pastors there. And I think one of the board members and he's like, hey, I just want you guys to know that we've been watching you guys. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're kind of a stalker. That's kind of weird to say. And he's like, you know, we, wanna, we want you to know that it's, it was a pretty big church for the area. And they're like, you know, a third of our church is military and we don't know how to connect with them. You know, we, we essentially want to create a position for you two guys to stay here and be pastors here. And so, um, my wife was like, yes, I was like, hell
0: no. Right. Like, no, absolutely. And what was not. like, what, <clears throat> how did that happen? What was your relationship? Like you had, right. You know, so,
1: you mentioned that. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, I've always done volunteer work, you know, whether that was, you know, in two thousand. Um, in 2010, me and my buddy, Steve, we, we, we started up the LA chapter for Team mid white and blue, you know, but like Mike Irwin, you know, he was a lieutenant of ours in 2004, 2004, 2005. Right. So at the time he was
0: Mikey, e, you know, he was an
1: awesome Lieutenant,
0: you know, Is that, when was that like two when you were in two seven or
1: yep, in two seven and two seven. That's crazy. He, was, I, he was our instructor. That. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah.
0: So
1: that's my connection to him. Um, and so, uh, obviously being in a sniper section, you're attached to headquarters. So you just know all those guys, if that makes sense. So, um, so we did, you know, we we did a lot of work and back then I was heavily into CrossFit, you know, I was very cultish with it. Um, and so, uh, uh, but we started up the alley chapter and that did phenomenal. And I always, I've always had a heart for just, uh, I would say volunteer work. I don't know why, you know? Um, and so, uh, so we would teach financial classes to our church on finances. Um, We got accredited through some couple different accreditations and we were just teaching it just no cost. Just hey, like no one's called to, you know, be broke. And if you are, I think half of it's a mentality and you have to break that mentality. And some of it is you have to increase your finances, but let's, let's teach you some great skills and let's go from there. So all we did was taught financial classes to our church. That's it. I mean, Again, I'm in the active military. Um, My wife at the time, she's a waitress because Watertown, New York, she can't get any jobs up there because that place is not great. It's not a great economy up there, you know. Um, And we, at the time, we have two children now, Lincoln and Selah. And so uh, it was a curveball from left field that I did not see coming. But the history for my wife is that um, her ancestors came over during the French-Indian Wars and um, there's been a pastor or preacher in her family for over 300 years. Uh, Every single generation. So they have, they have this book. When you open it up, you get married, you sign your name in it, dude. And they close the book and they put it back in a glass case and they seal it. It's super cool, dude. Family
0: Bible. Or, I family mean, Bible.
1: It's legit, dude. It's like 100 that that's, 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 so, the, that's the heirloom. It's history, right? So, um, so before her, she was a – Um, Before Danielle met me, she was a missionary in uh, Uganda and the Ukraine. So um, she had her, um, she had her master's and, um, and so she was really big, obviously into like missionary work and doing things like that. And um, she is, uh, she's always had a heart to empower women. And so um, I think especially in the Christian realm, there's a lot of people who put caps on women you know, who think that they should not be teaching or preaching or other stuff. And so, um, and to be fair, I mean, to be transparent, I never thought about it or maybe I never cared about it until I had a daughter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nobody will ever tell my daughter what she can and what she cannot do. Dude, Danny, I don't
0: ever want to get on your bad side, bro. Your daughter can do whatever (laughs) she says. (laughs) I just,
1: I got, I got upset because I thought like, what if my daughter was older, right? Like you can't tell her that. And so, um, so we were, you know, we had to pray about it. And, um, it was a, it was a financial loss, even from the army with their was getting paid. I was like, how am I going to go backwards and pay? That's like unheard of, dude. You know? Um, but you know, as, as, as it is, man, we both, we said yes to the position and we stood there. Um, it is with massive highs with massive lows. Ministry is difficult because you get stuck in the weeds in people's intimate lives and, some people don't want to be transparent where they're at or truthful and they expect you to fix it. And you're not called to fix things. I'm only called to show people ways that they get self-correct. You know, it's called the dignity of free will. People could listen to everything I have to say and be like, go screw yourself. And I'm like, you know, that's an option. <laughs> you know, like, you don't have to listen to anything I'm saying. And, and, you know, um, and I, I'm perfectly okay with that, you know? And so, um, I know for me, um, I had a, I had a God encounter when I got shot and I heard this voice that said my name. Have I told you about it? No.
0: So that, that's just, it just kind of, this part of your story, it just begs the question, like, how did you develop that close personal relationship? Yeah. So when I got shot originally with that
1: Grom guy who ran out the door, um, I heard this, this voice, which is so weird. It said Danny boy, but here's the context. Here's the context. So I grew up in East LA. So my father is still in the Mexican mafia. He has been for a very long time. He's killed a lot of people. He's never getting out of prison. He probably shouldn't get out of prison. I love him. He's my dad, but he's done a lot of bad things to a lot of bad people. So I, I have seen my dad, like probably five times in my life, you know, he's been a shoe unit, shoe units, like the, where they get it's one. Segregated housing, right? Yeah. But he was a shoe unit for 23 years in a row. So, um, what I mean, he was one of the top priority guys in California Was the reason for it. And so, um, so for me, it was one of the things where, like, in growing up as a kid, people would always call me Danny Boy because my, my father, that's what they called him in the streets, Danny Boy. So no one had ever called me that and I don't know, since I, since I left L.A., right? And so I'm in this battle, and um, I hear with clarity something say, Danny Boy, but very low, but I heard it. And so, what it caused me to do when I initially got shot was I looked to the right. When I looked to the right, a bullet went by my face. I have a little scar here. So, a bullet went by my face like that. And if I wouldn't have turned, it would have got me perfectly and probably killed me. You know, there's probably a counter sniper out there, I can imagine. They were good also. And so, when I heard that, I struggled with that for years, man. I was like, you know, and then after after the attempt of suicide, nothing happened. I'm like, what the heck, you know? Um, so for me, it was a lot of years of asking, like, why am I, why am I here? What am I created to do? And why do I constantly feel this nudging of, of wanting to like, literally to follow you and following Jesus is different for everybody, man. It's, it truly is. It's not, it's not glorious. Um, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of pain because you're in relationships. Some are awesome, right? We all have relationships. Here's the thing, right? Every relationship takes work. I don't care who they are. You're... My relationship with my mom takes work, <laughs> a lot of work. You know, I love my mom, you know, but every relationship takes work, some more, some less. And so, um, and I've, I've always had a heart for, I think, mental health. I think as for years I suffered with it. And so I wanted to bridge the two because as a kid growing up, I often felt that, a lot of Christian men were were kind of weak, that makes sense. Like, weak in terms of the way that I think of what a man should do. You know, like, you should fight, you should, like, build a fire, change a tire, you know, random stuff. But, um, and yet at the same time, like, they're some of the most strongest people I've ever met. And what that did for me, it transformed the way I thought in terms of, you know, there is something about having a quiet strength. I think most men tend to be silverbacks. They'll make noise and they'll bang on stuff. But that's not real strength, you know? That's an frontal part of aggression, but that's not real strength. And it reminds
0: me of like the uh the strength of the oak versus like the strength of the reed. Yeah. Have you you've heard well, that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, sometimes the ability to bend with the wind is yeah. and be flexible is preferable to standing firm. But absolutely. uh absolutely
1: so um you know, they offered us a position and we said yes. And it was through that position that, you know, for the for the one tell reunion, I did the benediction for that, invocation for that. I was I was all able to do a couple um, you know, uh special forces invocations because cause I know those guys that they still call me up and I'm glad I still call a lot of them friends. And so I get those random phone calls because everybody needs a chaplain to open up a ceremony. So they call me and I'm cool with that, you know. Um and uh, I, was, I was able to speak to a lot of guys who were, I think a lot of the, 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 the common trait that I struggle with is anger and shame and rejection. You know, those three things tend to circulate, and in, especially internally. And so um, I'm able to show them, like most people, have to ask me, like, dude, how have, you, how have you killed the amount of people you've killed and how are you sane? And I, I usually say, well, there was a season where I wasn't, <laughs> you know, and um, that season hurt me, but really, your greatest platform will often be your greatest pain. And so for me, um, you know, I, ha- I had to walk through a season that would have killed a lot of people. Um, it made me mentally rigorous in parts that I need to be mentally rigorous in, but it also made me palatable in other ways. And it made me understand the beauty and the pain of life um, and how it's worth living, but it's also worth celebrating. And so I think a lot of times we tend to get into these concepts and these, we get, I obviously say stuck in the weeds where um, we just, we have a bad mentality, but really is we have a bad perspective on where we're at, you know, and you know, the Bible read it, if you follow it, it doesn't say that you're going to get rescued from the storm. It never says that, but I want to let you know that there is a way to be okay in the storm, you know, but I think that applies to just general rules of life, you know, you know, life's going to hit you hard more than anybody. And if you don't know where to stand or how to stand, you're going to constantly get hit every time. And the thing is everybody falls, but you have to understand how to get up and why you get up. The why is always more important than the punch, you know? So once you understand your why, then you can understand this makes sense, you know? Um, So for me, it's just, you know, I follow, I follow the Lord because um, he saved my life multiple times and I have this, um, this, love to tell the people what that feels like. And it's uh you know, the story of Christ, it's a, it's a ravenous love story. We can go into details of that later on, but um, that led me to the position at New Life. And then, um, you know, when I was in, I always wanted to be a business owner. <laughs> and so I had a conversation with a sergeant major of, under fire We I think, I think we were taking, um, we, were taking a, uh, we were taking cover behind uh, um, a rooftop in 2007. And, and we were smoking a cigar, he pulled one out. And he's like, you know, Pina, when you get out of here, what do you wanna do? And I remember smoking that cigar thinking, you know what? I wanna open up a, a, a surf shop in Costa Rica. <laughs> that, was, that was my plan, the surf shop in Costa Rica. So when I got out of the army, I opened up a, a stand up paddleboard shop and it was in Sackets Harbor, New York, which is near Watertown, New York. So it wasn't a surf shop, it wasn't Costa Rica, but it was close, you know? And so um, I was able to do that for a couple of years. We, we bought it off an incredible couple. Um, and uh, my second season owning it, you know, I'll, I was able to cross uh, Lake Ontario um, uh, unassisted in my paddleboard. So I did 131 nautical miles. Um, and we definitely hit some major storms. And the only part I love about that is there's no sharks. So I've got to worry about being eaten, right? <laughs> So I love the inward C's um, and it got me really big into, um, into just realizing like owning that shop was so good for me when I got out because my, not only was I pastoring, but I was also doing business on the side. And, you know, I was able to just, um, you know, give my employees awesome principles. I'm never going to push my religion on you because I just, it's not who I am. I really believe that, most of it should be done in conversation through relationship. Um, So if you want a guy to throw the Bible at you, it's just, it's not me, you know, Um, because I've done everything wrong that um, you could think of, but I'm saved by grace. Thank God. And so it's one of those things where um, it was so good to be on the water. I think being on the water is so much like life, how you think you have a solid foundation, but if you can't read the tide, then you'll always fall off your board. And so you have to learn how to constantly adjust I think so much of that is true of life. You have to learn to adjust how to adjust, how to adjust your focus, how to adjust your perspective, um, when to give effort, when to when to go with the tide, when, when when to like let life take you, and sometimes when to fight the tide, you know? And so for me, I hate saying paddleboarding is um, spiritual, but it kind of is, you know, um, you know I'm the kind of person where there's storms, I'll be out there by myself. People are like, you're gonna die. And I'm like, yeah. I do think I'll die this way. I'll probably die a different way, you know? Um, and I also have, I also have like no fear, which I don't think is healthy sometimes. Um, but I have respect for the water. And so, um, so yeah, you know, I, uh, so that brought me to
0: Cincinnati. I'm sorry, to Cleveland. Um, me, let me, Danny, let me, let me yeah. slow you down a little bit, man. I feel like you're just, the wisdom is just like, uh, look, know. Out of you know what um, I mean? And it's, anyway, uh, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said something that – so I shared, a, I shared a quote to our group here online from, from Ernest Hemingway's. That's, I'm impressed that you recognized it too. Uh, farewell to Arms. Um, Thank you, yeah. Yeah. yeah, our literary – goodness gracious, man. Uh, so the world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places. But those that will not break it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave and partially – if you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. That's good. I just, uh, something about your story, it's just like you've lived and died, you know, a number of times. And, and it's like each iteration of you is a more refined, more pure, more giving and, and talented and uh, special entity, man. And I'm just really like grateful to, to hear your story and you distill all these messages so well. I hope that people can slow down and appreciate the, the very valuable truths that are here, you know, and it, and it sounds like, uh, there are some key sort of ingredients, strength through adversity. You know, you had some, some good leaders, did a lot of side-by-side and face-to-face engagement. You were entrepreneurial and found things that you wanted to do, but that at the same time, like benefited your community. So you're building that at the same time you found a spiritual balance that was your own sort of i mean obviously like a military christian ministry isn't unique to you but you made it your own and it's just uh your mix is just so incredibly impressive and just the the way you've managed to like be in the right place at the right times and be where the action is and and perform at a high level is just so inspiring that i just like i don't want to get lost in you know, I don't want to, I don't want people to fail to see the grind for the, or the overarching great accomplishments for lack of the other, if that makes any sense, you know?
1: I, I will tell you, I'm a work in progress. Um, look, dude, I'm still in counseling. Like, I, I, I believe in counseling. Um, I'm in it. You know, I'm in marriage counseling. I was like, dude, I, I still get anger. Like, I don't know why. Um, that's one thing I still struggle with. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be lying to you if I say I have total victory in that aspect. Um, you know?
0: Um, do, you think, do you think total victory is a real thing?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, Even the Bible talks about how Paul had a thorn in his side and no one really knows what that is. Um, so I, I think one of the things that I can't, I can't find refuge in is that um, I know peace will come and I could have peace, but I think times that mo- people live their lives based off their feelings and feelings are so ebb and flow. I don't trust my feelings. I learned that now. Um, I trust some of them. I think a lot. there's a lot of great poetry that says, follow your heart. And I do believe in that. But I think a lot of stuff in my life I've realized is that um, there are some things that I have to continually work on. And I know that um, war did something to me, man. It, it took something from me that I can never get back. Um,
0: it made me... Well, oh, hey, man, I think to our credit and Karen, Nick, everybody else, like all our brothers and sisters, like there was a measure of that that was given freely. And I yeah. think that makes it special, um, you know, dealing with the repercussions and the consequences. Like, I don't know if that was knowable before we got into it. So it's kind of, I mean, we poke fun on it here. Like, Oh, my recruiter, lied. your recruiter had no idea that, you know, you were going to get almost shot in the face and shot twice in the chest and once in the you know lower abdomen mm-hmm. and then come back for a couple more helpings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, we're all we're all works in progress. Uh, so, you know, I think just being able to admit all the things that have been challenging and to share your strategies for success is going to help other people orient their trajectory, trajectory to a better place. Well, you know I, what I, mean? I
1: think it's important. You have to be honest with where you're at, you know, not where you're going. I mean, you want to know where you're going, but you have to know where you're at. And I think that the hard part with life is everybody in this in this world of hurry up, you know that there has to be this, I think what COVID-19 has done, it's um, it's eliminated hurry and it's causing everybody to stop and to recalibrate and rethink about a lot of things, both internally and externally. And I think that um, you have to realize that, uh, um, you know, on this earth, man, I have I have one shot, you know, I'm, I'm eventually going to pass away. And, you know, that's part of the process, you know, no one's ever avoided it, <laughs> you know, but, I know that I could do, I could try to do a lot with the time I have and try to impact people as best that I can. And I'm human, I'm gonna fail. You know, I'm not God, I'm, I'm gonna do some things that get people upset. I, I may make some bad decisions, some bad calls, um, but I will always try to be better than I was yesterday. And, you know, speak less and listen a little hell a lot more. I spoke a lot now, but I tend to speak less. <laughs>
0: Dude, I, uh, I think your message here is really a positive one and, and going to be really powerful. Karen, I'm curious if we missed anything. If uh, if there's something that stands out as glaring from uh, Danny's story or just, you know, a question. I know we traditionally do our rapid fire, but I just like, I feel like there's this is really rich already. You know, this is just incredible. And uh, it's been really cool for me to reconnect with you, man. Like yeah. you were one of my one of my role models during my active duty time and I'm really, you know, and it, that continues now, honestly. Now okay. I'm glad we were able to collaborate on this and I hope to uh, keep working together in the future and, and uh, just kind of, this feels like picking back up like it's 2008 again. Like we All just right. got off the clubs, man, so. Get your board up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. What are your thoughts, Karen? What are we, what should we do next? Like I want to, I, I I would sit here for another three hours, but, uh, uh- <laughs> It's single, I mean, it's,
1: it's single the mile, too. I don't want to up about you guys' times.
4: <laughs> I, I feel like you had, uh, you told your story, like, so well. And there were so many beautiful anecdotes in that story, um, like Will said about wisdom and just kind of facts of life and, like, life lessons and all that. So, yeah, I feel like you, you just spoke so well about everything. It was, it was really interesting just to listen and hear you talk and reflect on things.
0: Awesome. What do you? What do you want to? What do you want to add? Do
4: rapid fire questions, but I feel like it takes away from like how rich this episode is.
0: I agree, Danny. So you know, if I could trouble you for just whatever your final thoughts are, just to put a bow on everything. If you have any questions for me or Karen, would be the second item. And then, of course, like this whole thing has been sincerely 180 minutes of uh, of just guidance for. You know, if there's ever two kids like me and you that are doing the same thing, like, I hope they listen to this and, and you know, think it somewhere in the, in the back of their head. And uh, yeah. yeah, but if there's, any, if there's any message to that guy who's, like, making the mistakes that I made or making the mistakes that you made or, or yeah. like, on the cusp or thinking about something, like, yeah. can you hit those three points for us? Yeah, so I
1: think one of the things right now that I've been ruminating on is that the fact that, you know – Looking at my children, I think giving you kids really does make you a phenomenal leader. I never thought that until I started raising my own children. It changes the topography of how I see things. I would say that everyone's born original. Don't, don't die a copy. You know, In this stage of looking at magazines and following this person, that person, you're built and you're born to be unique. Everyone has that perspective. Everyone has a uniqueness. I feel like sometimes along the way, we lose it in the sense of conformity, you know, and look, I'm a, I was a soldier, like, I love the conformity, but always keep whatever is you, keep that and don't lose that. I think in the world that um, a lot of people tend to lose it, you know, and so one of my missions is helping people find that, find it back and rekindle. You know, if I sp- could
0: just add my own note to that. Yeah. Uh, that's funny, that interplay between being being exceptional and uniformity or conformity and uh i think that one thing you excelled at you did you did small things differently you know you had you had longer hair people could tell you hung out with like um you know like an elite fraternity yeah you performed and in a in an environment when everybody is like relegated to the same level or the same appearance, the same clothes, the same sort of routine, you can always just do it better. And I feel like that's what you did, you know? Yeah. So if I, could, if I could respond to that point, but please. Absolutely. Please,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, and so no, that's, that's, what I'm,
1: that's one of the things that I'm just, I'm, I'm just been, I've been stirring on inside. And just, you know, um, there are times in life where, uh, you know, when I was injured, my spirit wanted to keep going, my willpower, my physical body was like nah bro take taking me you know and so i think a lot of times COVID 19 is causing this to be internally and i think that what i'm seeing a lot from a pastoral aspect is that solidarity is, is so good you know i am a firm believer in, in, in solidarity but i think the isolation can be bad you know and i'm seeing it a lot every day I, I i live in it and so i want to encourage you that if you listen to this you have not reached out to the people that you have to reach out to old friends Maybe your parents, you know, they have this great thing called Zoom or Skype, FaceTime, use it. And I think now we're seeing an acceleration of connection, but I think true intimacy is different than connection. And, you know, you can't lie to the man in the mirror or to the woman in the mirror, you lie to everybody else, you know, everybody wears faces, you know, they, they have different faces for different occasions, you know, you're true to yourself and where you're at. But honestly, write down where you want to go and make it happen you know because i really believe in free will and that no one can help you get there people can help you get there let me rephrase that that sounds wrong people can help you get there but nobody's gonna do it for you brother i know but talent will get you in the door right Char- character keeps you there so the biggest thing that people lack what i've seen at different positions of leadership is character so i hope that your character is continually to be strong and strengthened through the process whatever that looks like for you um i would say uh don't be arrogant and stay humble you know that's all i got how much <laughs> dude
3: that's
0: uh it's an honor you know it's a pleasure and it's it's more than enough and at the same time i hope it's exactly what somebody needs to hear because yeah. uh you've been there bro and like more than more than uh almost anybody i would say so you keep on fighting the good fight, setting the right example, and uh, yeah, I mean, motivate me to be a better me. When I was starting Atkinson and you were starting Pina, it was uh, the same story, and now that it's Will and Danny, you know, that that part hasn't changed, and I know we haven't spoken in in way too long, but uh, but consider that problem solved. Well, I just thank
1: God that Somebody, some girl found the the nerve to stick with me over these years. Yeah, you know? yeah so
0: so, so Daniela, when you <laughs> do <been> listen <laughs> to this, my name's Will, and thank you very right, much. Right. Apparently, you're yeah. a big deal to somebody. So, now <laughs> Karen, yeah. um, I'm
1: curious about some of your some of some of your experiences. Also, you know, like what you did, where you're at. Maybe there may be some interlapping, or you know.
4: So you mentioned Najaf, and yeah. you mentioned Gary Owen. Yeah. So I was um at Fab Talil. No, not sorry, not Tolil. I'm gonna forget the name. Duke. Fab Duke. Outside of Jeff.
1: Yeah, yep. Is it the we, same
4: freaking place?
1: That's where we staged at. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's exactly that's exactly where that we, is crazy.
4: Yeah. So,
1: so that was I was yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead.
4: I was there at two thousand and five, two thousand and six, I think mm-hmm. December to December. Yeah. Or no, wait. We were we were there. Oh god. We spent probably like five or six months there. Yeah. So I'm just like hearing you talking about a job and I'm like, "What the hell?" like cuz when we got there, um like what we were doing, we were working with IP stations and stuff. Yep. So I'm just like I'm trying to think like how what time period you were there and then when I was there, like how that interlaces. But-
1: I love about it, because like, the brilliance of it is that a lot of the overlapping has to do with the strategy of what America was doing in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time, right? So IP stations yeah. were more of a prominent aspect because we realized that we can't keep staying on these, on these bases and not have a presence in the city. It was literally right. killing us. It was killing yeah. us. So we had to support the local government because we, we wanted them to govern themselves you know at the same time we started to maintain presence in those cities so it's interesting how it's not so not interesting how these things the way that the strategy happened how they started to slowly formulate themselves from bigger battles to centralized decentralized you know um it starts to come together
0: you know that's a that's a fantastic set of points there i'd just like to add before Karen response uh that a lot of people don't understand that uh it's not a it's not a democratic society. It wasn't yeah. ever, it's, a, it wasn't, it's not even had a sniff of that before we came there and, and they had their first, Iraqis had the first nationwide democratic elections in their history since yeah. since the times of uh, Sumer and Babylon and, and Nineveh and Ur uh, in, on January 30th, 2005. And that's just not how it works. It's a tribal society, family-based from biblical times probably you know perhaps before yeah so the the fact that we adapted our strategy eventually over time to conform to something that would be successful in that cultural landscape is something that like you know that takes a pretty sophisticated understanding i think of of the conflict Yeah. And karen i know i just totally ruined uh you know the <laughs> the flow between you and danny but back and respond (laughs)
4: i'm 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 just trying to quell my diva of a dog um so no but you know it was one of my um you got some guns dude oh yeah that's
0: the other thing i was hoping we'd get around to is like karen's buff as hell she likes to lift crazy athletic
1: like karen makes me feel really bad about myself right now yeah (laughs) i
4: I, i'm an avid uh crossfitter so you said you were a with CrossFit yeah. before so I was like all right kudos kudos I love
1: um, let me ask you this what is your most what is your favorite move in CrossFit?
4: Oh my god that's a question. Why Jesus. The um, um, no those are I'm not I, bad at those.
1: I like um, them because they're hard they're yeah it's mobility
4: every, yeah everything. I feel like um, I really excel at the grunt work. So like yeah. the stuff where you're just like doing the you know like box jumps and now you yeah. got to pick this bag up and put it down and throw some cleans in there, like that's what I'm I'm pretty good at. I think my oh, my favorite move. I mean I like cleans. Like I feel like that because yeah. it's not as technical as a snatch.
5: Yeah, so I could do a lot better,
4: and then you can haul around some heavy weight. So yeah, no, I do that. Um, but okay, so in the job, one of my like first memories there was god i can't remember the names uh we would take this route to the ip station and you would leave base and go through the desert for a little bit and then you would just go into this
1: it was the ip station at the entrance of the city right
4: oh i'm trying to think which one it was We went to the same no i don't think we were at the entrance we were in the city more Mm -hmm. um it was like a it was i mean it was a little shithole but um you we went into like this huge—it's um, the right term—a valley, but it's, it would just open up, and there was one road that went down the middle, and there was water on both sides. Yeah, like it was yeah. like a huge cliff. Did you ever go by that? Yeah, or down in the.
1: I remember what well, I remember the the like the visualness of it. I couldn't tell you the name. Like no, I also no I My head no, Right,
4: like, but I remember because I was a gunner at the time, so I remember yeah. coming over that hill. And driving down there and I was just like, holy shit. Because like the, the landscape was just so different than anything I had, you know, experienced. And I was, and it was just so weird because, you know, you don't, I guess, anticipate being in awe of the landscape yeah. when you're going to Iraq right? like you're thinking, yeah. you know, this is just going to suck. Um, so it was just kind of straightened to have like that beautiful moment uh, in the middle of all the, the, the stuff going on. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: No. But, no it's,
4: go ahead. So you you mentioned Gary Owen. Hmm. Gary Owen. And so Gary Owen was the name of the Irish Bob race. that I was at in my second deployment. Um, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, were you talking? Were you talking about that Bob as well?
0: No. No. So. Um oh, wow. I was this only- is a, this is a huge opportunity. I yeah. like I can't believe we kind of just like sailed right by this cuz Gary Owen it's this is like a cornerstone of cab culture.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And Cav like I'm sure as an MP Karen that you've had just some uh experiences that just set things apart for that MOS from the rest of the the military but for cab guys Gary Owen's like a big part of the lore. Like Dude, you remember that other miracle in in I don't know if it was Fallujah and a job, but they had other two seven miracle, uh Sart Sergeant Sergeant Thompson or Thomas. Thomas, yeah. That was wild. That was a, so when I reported to, he was I'm pretty sure he was a like a Bradley crewman mm-hmm. in one of the one of in the infantry platoon that I was assigned to when I first got when I first reported to, one twelve. Yeah, and and it was crazy because like. All you guys had this mythology surrounding you, right? So, do you remember like the the little group that came from from Fifth Brigade or Divardi over? Yeah, like, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we came over, and it was me and Carney and Ski and like DeBrees. Right? Was he with you? No. So DeBrees was on our rear D. Okay. So so yes, he was, but yeah. he had he you know he was a stranger to me. I mean, okay. we became close, as you know, dude. Yeah. I gotta catch up with that guy yeah like shit got a little weird there was like one or two things that like Mm -hmm. you know how it is we were all Mm -hmm. we were all just just sorting it out you know but uh but yeah we came over and like i just you know coming back to the rear d and with the ford support medical company yeah like these folks that we hadn't deployed with and they're like you know they're doing regular army things but there's like no combat patch. And it's and it's just like, you know, you think you're on a different level. And right. But then but then we come down to the line and it's and it's the mythology. Guys like you and uh Sergeant T who we should tell that story. And like everybody else, like Fallujah and Josh, like, oh no, I was a soldier at the same time, but I was watching those battles on Sienna <laughs> Yeah.
1: So I think it's interesting. You you
0: want to tell his story? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I mean, I mean, I feel like you were closer to it, but I, I'm. You know what? I'll jump in. Yeah. So yeah, yeah sorry T, He was a uh, this dark complexed black guy. About like, man, I swear this dude had like density that was not possible for a human. He was he was only five nine, but three hundred and fifty pounds. I swear, and he was just made out of no, he was just made out of like heavy ass steel. But yeah. uh, he got shot in the head, and it and it just like. It penetrated his Kevlar, but somehow just made a ring around the inside liner. Yeah. Like everyone in the, like, this was not controversial in the battalion that that's exactly what happened. And of course, like you don't just get shot in the head, even if it's, even if it. Like sticks in your armor, you don't just like uh, like laugh it off. So he was like, he was like three quarters or seven eighths knocked out, and he's like, these mfers they shot me in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just like and getting e without a scratch on him. But a but a you know yeah <laughs> shot in the head, and every, and everybody's just like, what really like they don't know people, but it's like like really, and it's like the whole battalion's just like yeah yeah. Yeah, it was, wild. it was Fallujah. It was in a job, yeah. whichever one it was. Yeah. So then so then uh, it came time for the reenlistment guy to come talk to Sarn T. And he was just like, he was negotiating from a position of strength. <laughs> like, I got shot in the head. This is what I want. And he was like, I think he got You owe days. me. Sure you owe me. <laughs> just off the books, you know. And then he came back to work and he was out of shape and failed all his PT tests for a little while. Yeah. But he's just, after that, just like, whoop, right back into it. Now he's just an experienced Bradley crew member and a mechanized infantry platoon teaching yeah. dudes how to drive a baby tank and, and drop off other dudes that are, you know, going to yeah. run around and shoot at people. But it's one of those things, like, is that a miracle? Or is that just volume of fire plus armor? Or how do you explain that? And it's just what? like, I mean, I don't know. I think one of the things, you know, I used to always say that the enemy shoots by
1: accuracy of volume. Shooting enough rounds, of course, some are going to hit, right? You know, and, uh, you know, I, I I think that you'd be surprised on how much, um, you said miracle, but how many daily miracles happen, but we always expect like to see a limb grow back or something very, you know, out of the, out of the big, but sometimes a miracle could be a conversation. It could be a, a phone call. You know, I don't know what that looks like. But I think for him, I think he would say, yeah, it's a miracle because it could have went <laughs> in his forehead, right? <laughs> so, but, yeah. He had a cool scar and a story to tell. So that's always cool. If you're going to do something, well, <laughs> you might as well look cool doing it. So <laughs> so he figured out pretty well. Yeah.
4: So I kind of want to ask you something. I don't know if you're, you'd be comfortable talking about it or not. So if, yeah. if you're not, feel free to say no. Yeah. Um, so when you shot yourself mm. after that, mm. did you talk to anybody about it? How did you handle it afterwards? And like, cause I just, I, you know, I just don't yeah. even know how, how yeah. you kind of come out of that, you know?
1: Yeah. So I didn't shoot myself. I tried to, but the, um, it didn't, uh, the primer didn't ignite. So, um, so I okay. think right. What, what, right. what happened with, with that was, uh, um, it was, uh, you know, I, I told like two people and that was it. You know, um, I think it was, it was so hard because I did, I, I had over the course of a short career before then made a name for myself. And, you know, I would go to bars and people would buy me beers. and I get handshakes and high fives and, you know, um, you know, but it was, it was such a facade because I was dying on the inside and I didn't know how to tell people. And so, um, You know, I, I also didn't, didn't handle it well. Like some people, like if you put me now where I'm at back, you reverse me back, um, you know, 15 years, 10 years from now, I would have, I would handle things way different, but you know, I grew up without a, I grew up with a strong support channel, but with also support channel where it was stoicism. So just don't talk about it and suck it up and keep moving forward. So I think when I grew up with that, it was ingrained in me just not to talk about it, you know, um, just don't say a word and so i never talked about it you know and it cost me I, I i always tell people it cost me about a decade of my life you know to really gain um i gain a lot of what i lost back you know some of it's self-dignity some of it's self-worth um
0: you know dude. some of it's straight up fucking money in the bank or straight up or, yeah. or, or you know like I talked to a lot of people about their service and a question that comes up is like, would you do it again? Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, yeah, hell yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of that stuff. Like, but there's for some of us, there's this niggling thing, like, well, what if I could have learned the lessons that I learned there in some other way mm-hmm. that didn't cost me five or seven or 10 years, you know? Wow. But, uh, but the fact is no such thing as time travel. Yeah. And a lot of people miss out, on the growth and the experience and the lessons that we did get
5: Mm -hmm.
0: so i mean
1: i think that's the hard part is you don't ever want to add to life's humbling life will humble you in itself so don't be the mechanism that adds to your own destruction right so if you could i think now more than ever we live in a in an age where we have incredible information that's being shared like never more than before I, i can go to youtube and i can get a I can get this amazing guy from Harvard, you know, tell tell me about, you know, microbiology. You know, I could go and watch, you know, watch a guy from, you know, Brown, you know, tell me about physics. And so we have access to so many things nowadays. I think it's incredible. But I think the hardest part is that a lot of times we're only as sick as our secrets. And I think that everybody has them. And if you don't deal with them, they'll deal with you. That's the reality. And, um, you know, we live in a time where like, I am glad that the mental health is like, Hey, like get it, you know? And so, but back in my reality, then that wasn't, that wasn't the thing. It was like, Hey, this we're, we're in the middle of war. Um, you're in charge of a lot. If you do that, it'll kind of count you as a weak leader. So don't do that. And so we just never,
0: I, I, I never did. Some people did. I just never did. You
1: know, talking to um, folks,
2: you mean?
0: just huh? like engage, engaging, engaging yeah. the services and talking about stuff. Yeah, yeah, I just—I well, I, I never this did. This is know. what this is what I'm hearing when you're telling me about. And you were a fucking rock star to me too, bro. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about like <clears throat> people coming up to you in the bar in Fort Hood and like shaking your hand and 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 doing all that, like, yes, you're a you're a great leader of men and a and you've grown and you are wise now. At least wiser than you were, and you can look back and say like, internally, I was torn up, but for the people that were coming up and doing that and shaking your hand and telling you like, Hey, you are the greatest. That was their reality. And they haven't had that, like that readjustment yet. They haven't been, they haven't faced those, uh, sort of universal challenges, those humbling experiences. You know what I mean? And that's the, I think that's, that's why it's so key that that's half the reason why I do what
1: I do now, man, is, um, I know, I think what war does is, you know, I think Hemingway said it better than I will, but um, it makes you realize the fragility of life. And really, if, if I think I'm any type of good leader, you know, I want to be able for my children to say that, you know, I serve the God of my father. So I have to not, not, not embed in them information, but really be like, hey, these are, this is the morality and ethic code that I follow. And when you get older, you can make your own decisions, son. I'm not going to force it upon you you know but here's what i think honor looks like and so i'm really big about teaching lincoln what honor looks like because i think in a world of let's get ahead let's backstab you you know um let's negotiate behind your back it's hard to find honor you know and so um i try to place it in him at a young age look i'm not saying he gets it right now <laughs> i doubt he does get to right now right but my my purpose is to reinforce that so that when he is 20, 30, 40, that he is way beyond where he should be because my wife and I downloaded whatever the best of what we could into him, you know, to make him a way better
0: person. Well, you know, what's super interesting to me is like, I think you kind of mentioned some things like how a lot of army folks sort of lack that father figure or are looking for something or looking for leadership in particular. And, yeah, you know, <clears throat> having had your perspective Shifted and now being oriented towards that sort of multi generational success,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I think is I think that says volumes about how people can improve their lives and how people learn and grow. Yeah, no, it's 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 never too early, it's never too late,
1: you know. And so we should always be students of learning. Like you're, you should you, you should never reach a point where you've mastered everything. You know, you should constantly be seeking and learning, seeking and learning. And then obviously what you learn, pass on to somebody else, you know?
0: Um, and I just live my life by that principle, you know? Well, I'm proud to know you. And I'm proud to know you too, man. Super grateful that you joined us tonight. Uh, for real this time, last thoughts.
1: Oh, for me? Okay, so, sorry. So, yeah, I, I think um, – just to echo it, you know, what I said earlier, it's just, you know, everyone's born original. Most people die a copy. You know, I feel like but that's so strong in this season is just, um, be who you're uniquely meant to be. Do not be someone you're not supposed to be I think the hardest part that people. Deal. So I'm a, if you guys know anything about the Enneagram test, I'm an Enneagram eight, <laughs> which means, um, so I'm, I'm really big of a personality test now just discovering people, why they think the way they think. <laughs> and so, um, be true to yourself, man. You know, I I am glad that we live in a world with doctors and teachers and you know, um, you know, uh, soldiers and you know, garbage. You know, just like uh, the diversity of where we're at. I was going to say as a maintenance man sounds more appropriate, but everybody has a role to play. And I think that even in the army, everybody did something. And what that taught me in the bigger picture is everybody can contribute. And yeah, sure, some people contribute more financially, some people contribute more educationally, you know. Um, I, I, I've met people with a lot of degrees who don't have a lot of wisdom. You know, they have a lot of initials behind their, their, their stuff, but they're arrogant and they don't have any friends. And I'm, what worries me is that no one's going to be at their funeral, you know. And I'm like, I don't know what that can say about your character.
0: Dude, you know, I am definitely trying to have the coolest funeral. So. Straight up, man. If you're listening and you like my style, please come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly,
1: man. And so um, it's just really find that thing in life that that really gets you going and fight for it. You have to fight for it. You know, no one's going to give you stuff. Um, People might have favor. People might have things given to them. But again, you know, talent will get you in the door, but character keeps you there. And so I'm hoping that everything I've learned over the process of my life has really refined my character. Um, It's humbled me because I've been in positions of great height and I've been brought to great lows um, a lot of times by my own um, self imploding, you know, and I hope that yeah. that doesn't happen to
0: anybody else, you know, I'm incredibly grateful that you're still with us. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: So stay healthy, do stuff <laughs> like team red, white and blue run. Cause a, it's scientifically proven to include some friends and that does a lot of things aside to you. You sure work out, drink a heck of a lot of water. Water's so good for you, you know, be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when you're 40, you
3: know, <laughs> I, I need a
1: shot, you know, um, you know, stretched. It's so, it's so healthy for you, you know, read more. Dude, that's what. <laughs> more you watch it we're talking
0: about like, we're talking about trying to get your mind right on the evil battle and uh, like, yeah, some people listen to this. Some people do this. Some people have a cigarette, look up in the sky. I'm like, Dude, I'm trying to I'm trying to like do some rotational exercises, like touch my Everyone's different,
1: man, you know? I would do a lot of push ups too. I'd be like, I gotta pass the time. It's like I'm prison, just like pushing it out. You know? What do you do? Yeah, man. Well, I think it's great that we could even just um, have a conversation through through different areas, you know, and just uh, you know, just share with one another. I think uh, I think what you fail to realize is that I've learned probably a lot from you guys, just as much as I think you guys learned from me.
0: I think that's the beauty of life and the beauty of sharing information. You know, hundred percent, dude. That's uh, that's kind of what this project is all about: getting these stories out here and scaling the good ideas that got you from pulling that trigger. Yeah. To say, goodness gracious, look at you! Like doing so much good in the world, man. So you know, it's fight or die. And thank goodness you're still in the fight, right? Yeah. It's a different fight. The the battlefield is different,
1: you know, but for me, the mission's the same, you know? So.
4: Yeah, it was a beautiful story, man. Really appreciate getting to listen to it.
1: I appreciate this. I appreciate hearing more of you guys in the future and just now tuning into it, you know, and just, um, just, you know, just championing you guys. In any way that I can, you know, from where I'm at
0: with my resources, also, you know. Dude, you can count on me uh, following up personally. I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of disgusted with myself. Like, you know, I'll be in touch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this summer,
1: well, uh, real fast, are you guys doing Murph? Oh, of course. Well. Mm-hmm. I'm open of to course. it, I guess. Like you
4: should say
0: yes, <laughs> Will. You're doing murph. The gauntlet's throwing down, bro. <laughs> Dude, I gotta tell you, I will do I will I will do the workout, right? But uh I won't I'm win. six feet away. <laughs> Dude. No, I just have like I'm struggling because COVID, like you said, Danny, like COVID has made a lot of people show their true colors and mm. way too many made way too many Verizons and Hyundai's and Sprints and uh you know Whoever else, are my bank is like, hey, this is how we're here to support you, and I'm like, no, this is how you cover your own liability and and market through this. You're trying to, what are you selling me? This is gross, like, yeah, and uh, and and I'm concerned that you know <clears throat> some of these important entities for veterans are doing the same thing. Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all about like.
1: <clears throat> Trust me. Here's here here my heart behind this is that um there are some churches that are doing the exact same thing also. Oh. Man. So
0: one Bro, of the dude, things, that's things not even, that
1: like you can't even play with that sort of thing, man. That's not even you know, you know what I mean. Like one of the things that I definitely want to I always push to people is I I don't really believe in religion, man. Meaning that um, I have a relationship with the Creator of the universe, and relationship is partners i have seen i think i bet them. you have a i bet
0: you have a relationship with your wife and a relationship yeah. with alcohol and a relationship with christianity yeah
1: Let's it's follow. all relationships yeah well, so for for, for for me it's a, uh,
0: um you know there's that uh yeah but you that, have to um, make these things they're they're bi-directional and you have yeah. to make them like of service right to mm-hmm. to you and the other party where they're not healthy or yeah. am i yeah right no, I, I,
1: I definitely believe in the church as the Bible says, but I think that I've seen behind closed doors and obviously overseas, people use the name of religion to do at- atrocities to mankind. And I, I don't know if I buy that, man, you know, um, but I, I would say definitely for um, people taking advantage of situations like COVID and that's unfortunate, you know, but people are people and some will be great and some will not be great. You know, I can't speak for them, you know? What's your answer? Love them all and just hope it works out well? You know, I'm not called to judge anybody, man, you know? Um, I think, but here's the thing, though. I think forgiveness and redemption are different. So I could forgive people, but... um, but Redemption's not your, yeah. Redemption's somebody else's. I could forgive people, but, like, I could also be, you know, as wise as a serpent, but stay as innocent as a dove in the process, you know, keep my hands clean and keep myself clean, because... (laughs) I'm not I'm not above it and um I you know I always remind myself that I'm human. And so my kids knock on the door.
5: Oh <laughs> like, <who's that? laughs> the last I'm knocking
1: on the door trying to get the office, I like, try to lock it. So Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, end of my night here. You gotta go I gotta go I promise I I tuck
0: him in, you know? Oh well, hey, that's uh <clears throat> that's fatherhood, bro. And uh like I, I I think I've said it um a time or two, but incredibly grateful for your time and perspective here. Mm really wonderful to see your your children come in the room and and know yeah. that you have a beautiful family and that yeah. you're tending to and a you know this is really powerful for me man i
1: appreciate it well of course man I'm, I'm glad that's powerful for you man i'm seriously like we have to we have to get together
0: you're not that far from me you're what 12 hour drive dude uh There'll be there'll be summer plans on the books within two weeks. Where I'm yeah, I, seriously, I just where you just I don't know. I'm not worth a damn. Is the story. I still want to get out of out of here and do stuff, man. I'm trying to
1: mm-hmm. I'm trying to abide, you know. The dude abides, but, but I'm also like, man, I just uh, I got to get out. You know, so everyone's feeling that way oh, though. Yeah.
0: yeah, Wisconsin just extended their uh, emergency declaration till July 15th, but not not any emergency orders like it's supposed to take effect and we'll find out the details when the current one lasts. but yeah we're in it bro this is this is the new normal and it's gonna be new for you know a uh, couple more months yeah and they're expecting that that second wave to come and hit too so
1: I think um, you know I don't know what that looks like but you're right this is a I always tell people especially right now the language is this is our new reality you know and you don't have to be afraid of it but you have to understand this is how it looks now I'm not saying this I think there's a difference between time and seasons and, um, this is a time and season we're in now. I can't say what that looks like in July, you know?
0: Yep. So Well, that's, I mean, <clears throat> I can hear the wisdom there and I, and I know, uh, many people would be well served if we were to unpack that here and now. I don't know that, I don't know that that's possible, but, uh, one thing I do want to ask you yeah. is, do you feel like your military career has kind of prepared you for crises like these? in a special way or do you or is this just were you just another dude like no, right in and out no, like no, you said? It, is,
1: it has prepared me in a way that it, i can't i can't it's hard to express so um a lot of people are um both behind closed doors and in, in the open have this fear that i just don't have man there's this um like i i, I could have concern i have a lot of concern about a lot of stuff but I think I've been through so much worse things. And I was like, look, dude, you know, you know how many malaria shots I got and this and that? Like, I'm pretty sure that there's something really? in my body that could counter stuff or it may get worse. I don't know. But it didn't – it hasn't made me scared. And I think because of that, it's, it, I mean, I'm not an idiot, you know, um, but we're using precautions and we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, do – I mean, I, I still live in Caesar's land, so I'm, I'm abiding by Caesar's law. You know, but at the same time, I think it's, uh, um, it's wise to say what they're going to say, but at the same time, you know, it's, uh, it's made my mind. This is not difficult for me. It's hard. It's hard because I want to be people. And I want to like, I'm, not a, hugger, All right. Right? I'm Dude, not a hugger, like people that hug me, I'm like, ah, oh, what are you doing? Like, stop, like, bro, but, you're out here but, hugging
0: people I, with your soul, man. You're but like, I kind of want to.
1: I kind of want to hug some people right now. I'm like group hug. You know, it feels weird. <laughs> you
0: know, I feel like you're. I feel like you've always done this and have never known about it until mm-hmm. probably like five or ten years ago. But yeah. uh, you, you hug, you hug people with your personhood. Yeah, you know, like make things possible and accessible for them to do, and then mm-hmm. they do it, and then you just raise the bar. So mm-hmm. you know, um, a wild thought that has occurred to me. During these times Is that like I'm not scared of this virus bro Like And I am happy to do Whatever's gonna protect Your grandma And my grandma And Karen's grandma You know Grandmas should be protected But uh I'm worried about How dumb people are getting about this Like They're fighting about it And this is You know Those things concern me And as a you know, like, I'm sensitive to escalating tensions. And, uh, you know, it makes me uncomfortable, because that's not that's something I that's not my line of work anymore. You know, like, I'm, uh, I'm all about the, the good times these days, and peaceful interaction. So um, that's the part that scares me, man. It was it was bad in 2016. And now and now we have, you know, the same wounds reopened and a new topic to fuss at each other about, but lives are at stake. And it's, and it's starting to, you know, John Q public starting to get a little skin in the game and I'm not sure him and her and the other can handle it, you know, Yeah, but we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, sure. true. It, it is definitely, um, it's testing people,
0: you know, so sometimes it's going to be tested. Sometimes not as much, right? Yeah, absolutely. man. Yeah. All right, Karen. Say something cool that we can just end the podcast on now.
4: <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me just get my dog to yell at me like she's been yelling at me for the past three hours. That's good, right? i got to watch she my ha- dog too. How, Did you hear? Did you hear? Yeah. Yep. Uh, how old is your dog, Daniel?
1: So I got her, man, I was going to do math, right? So I got her in December. I'm sorry. I got her in March of uh, April, 2008, and she was about a year so oh gosh she's well it's a pound so it's plus or minus right you don't really know the age so i think 13 14 we'll no yeah
0: so she's a teenager teenagers and yeah. dog years right <laughs> sorry
4: the old yeah. lady yeah and so mine's old too she's a uh, a mastiff so she like 11 years is she's yeah. about to be 11 so that's pretty yeah. up Have there the house
1: right there i sure. grew up with the mastiff yeah did you a Brendel mastiff she was uh he his name was solomon Raider. he was 214 pounds i'm sorry 234 Ooh. pounds at his height um his uh his father was 242 we bought him from a breeder Jesus. um this like really expensive person in california and he was literally a little horse and he lived to <laughs> almost about 10 years which is long for them so 11 is like right. awesome uh-huh. you know
4: well, she's a, a Neapolitan, so she's a little mm. bit smaller. I'll show her. She Here's her great face. Oh, yeah. There she yeah. is.
0: This is a treat. I should get a yeah. screen grab real quick. I think <laughs> I'll. Maybe I will do that.
4: Like she, Karen, phone were, down a little. <laughs> she, she talked mostly the whole time anyway, so she should have just been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's, so she's 11, so she's like getting into the early uh, stages of uh renal issues and stuff so all the good stuff sucks having
1: that's sad, yeah.
0: That's yeah. sad. just yeah. what we needed a little i know little...
4: debbie downer <laughs> some sadness to end things <laughs> up. Yeah. yeah, She's no, still. I, I mean she's still fine but you know that's just life right like dogs should not age i feel like we should just keep them forever Absolutely. Um,
0: it's, but... it's life and a country song so
4: yeah
0: yeah yeah all oh, right did you guys
4: see the poster behind me <laughs> nice <laughs> oh, that's good. But will. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: There's uh, your screen grab. Will. hang on, let me get the dogs Dude, oh, perfect.
0: that's funny because because I literally like
4: I, I did just I
0: just I just hit the button. All right, all right, guys. Here's the problem. This is too good, and I know if we keep going, we'll keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. uh Dude, Danny, I fucking love you, man. I'm so glad we did this. That. Karen, thanks for thanks for jumping in here. And uh, appreciate it. Th- this is gonna be a real good one. We'll 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 smooth it out a tiny bit, but bro, like you're one of the fucking you're a genuine you're the genuine article, man. So fight or die, y'all.